show so late because I know people are going to get mad at a certain point and be like, why do you guys start the show late? Why do you guys start the show late? But they have to understand we're having a conference in the back. There's a meeting in the in the ladies' room. And we'll be back real soon. to most good afternoon to others and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond i am jason miles your host for another episode of this is revolution podcast if you're new to the channel please like subscribe and if you enjoy what you're seeing make sure to hit the notification bell as we're constantly adding new episodes also for those of you that watch the show we are an audio podcast as well Actually, this show started out as an audio show, but alas, things change. Uh, Our show is always available on audio podcasts. If you go back in the archives, you'll find that the audio-only shows were different guests in the video streams. Thank you, Pascal, for convincing me that I was doing too much. So if you enjoyed the show and missed the stream, or if you like to listen to podcasts on your grueling mega commute, then subscribe to This is Revolution wherever you get your podcasts. Also, have to... Do a quick pimp of the merch. Toussaint, can you bring up the merchandise on the screen, please? Is it on the screen? Oh, there it is. If you like what we do here and you don't want to make the monthly Patreon commitment, then you can show your support with revolutionary merch. Who doesn't want to see Pascal Robert's face, his smiling face? On a t-shirt or a mug. M2 Sant's there too. Can you see her? (laughs) No? You can't see her on the shirt? I'm one of the stripes on the Anglo-Pessimism shirt. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know that. that That's that's you. Yep. And for the next live show, you'll be coming out in a luchador mask. Important. (laughs) No. Are we, are we still figuring out how we're gonna do that? We are. I don't. I'm gonna, I don't mind the mask. You don't mind the mask. I don't. <laughs> Just looking like a bank robber. Why not? Why not? I'm a well, leftist. All... We expropriate. <laughs> With all that being said, let's bring in the Saturday crew. You guys know him as my co-host, 
my homie, my dog, my pal, my right-hand man. He is, as I've said before, the Juan Gonzalez to my Amy Goodman. He is the Ask Al Robert. <laughs> Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings, Jason Miles. I have to represent the West Coast because of this East Coast heavy show. There's going to be so much East Coast slang and talks bodegas and <laughs> Chinese and L trains and what else do y'all say? What do y'all say out there? Son, son. I'm walking here. I'm walking son. here. <laughs> I'm walking over here. <laughs> say that to me and I didn't understand. <laughs> I'm walking here and then I saw the clip. So so yeah, there's going to be so much East Coastness. I tried with all of my being to dress like NWA. Oh man. <laughs> this is as close as I'm going to get to Ice Cube. You know? I got a, just a black Switch just just black. There's nothing on it. It's just it's okay. eighty nine, nigga. Just... Straight out of eighty nine. Okay. Straight out of eighty nine. <laughs> 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 Why not? Pascal, how are you feeling about today's show? I'm actually excited. I'm glad you're actually excited because. I had a long talk with Toussaint about the show last night. Yeah. Because it was a long talk. It was it was a it was a very big brothery talk. Because I was not prepared <clears throat> for the show at all. I did all the reading. And I thought you were not going to be prepared for the show at all. You were wrong. Because I know how you treat me when I book people. <laughs> <laughs> but before we bring in our guest, um, I do want to, first of all, thank David Griscom from Left Reckoning <laughs> for the Thursday news show. Ooh. I don't know. Is that okay? I think that's okay. I don't yeah. Know. It's okay. Our guest is talking to us via our private chat. Yes, that should be yes. fine. Because Marcus did that all the time. Um, did he? Oh, all the time. All the time. Hmm. Was not, was very, not <laughs> at all. Very on brand. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Jamaican shit and everything. <laughs> oh shit I was trying to be serious here man you guys are just effing everything up effing up my seriousness um, but I want to thank David from Left Reckoning thank you guys for checking that show out um, <clears throat> also if you haven't done it uh, check out the conversation I had Tuesday with my very good f- friend Pasquale Romero about capitalism and Spotify and the music industry in general also, what I really want to talk about real quick before we bring in our guest is our show Saturday is still getting quite a bit of attention. Um, 
lot of comments. And after I got stuck in Ensenada, which is like an hour south of me, because um, I got in the car accident and, you know, my phone was dead. So I had to listen to the radio on the way up. And there's all I heard was just endless sports talk about Kyrie Irving. And, it, and, I, and I was so mad listening to this bullshit <laughs> on the way back home that uh, I was like, man, I wish these cats would have just watched our show. I wanted to call in because everybody is painting Kyrie Irving as like the worst person ever. And he's a huge anti-Semite. And I was talking to Tucson about this and I mentioned this on the show, but I guess a lot of people missed it. But just to kind of dead all this talk about Kyrie and, and his uh, endorsement of this uh, documentary. He never watched it. <laughs> he didn't watch it. That nigga didn't watch that document. Don't ever think he watched any of that. That's why he didn't know shit about the damn Hitler quote. He didn't watch it. Just like cats act like they read the manifesto and they have it. Kyrie didn't watch that documentary. He did not watch it. Do you think he watched that documentary too soon? Yo, it's crazy that he's going this far for something he probably didn't watch. He did not watch it. I believe that. I believe that. He did not watch it. How many cats do you know half-assedly quote books they've never read? A lot. <laughs> Unfortunately. Pascal, do you think he watched that documentary? I don't know. I don't see my, my position is that even if he did or he didn't, why do you think he felt so need so necessary to get it out there? I think what happened was someone in his crew that was woke was like telling him that he had to watch it and I'm sure he bought it. Like there's movies in my queue that I have in the queue. So if someone's at the house and we're scrolling through like, Oh, let me see your list of movies. I got like foreign film. I'm never going to watch those films. (laughs) I'm never, I'm just, do you I'm think that Kyrie Irving is going through a phase where he's black, Hebrew, Israelite, curious? I think it sounded smart, whatever the people were saying. I mean, we've all I, I, I had stolen legacy in the 90s. You know, um, there's just this phase where people say stuff that is above your comprehension because you just never heard it before. And it sounds like smart people talk. And he didn't want to seem dumb. I don't think he's a dumb man. I'm not saying he didn't watch it because he's stupid. I don't think I'm the smartest, but I don't think I'm stupid. I tried to watch that thing. I was an hour and a half in. I was like, fuck this movie. The first 25 minutes are all a trailer for another documentary. I've never seen that in in an actual film before. It was like, remember them old Master P CDs where when you opened it up, it was an advertisement for... (laughs) God. And that shit looked like funky fat graphics. It was it was not done well. There was no way in the world he watched it or read that horrible book. 
Didn't do it. Didn't, didn't do it. it. You know what? Tons of Christians never read the Bible. <laughs> didn't do it. What you got to do, well, you don't drop it on the floor. You drop it on a table or something, right? Yes. And just let it open randomly. Yes. And then you read that. That's what I said. guarantee he got the book. He got the movie in the queue. And he just wanted to say something that sounded good. Like, you know. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think Kyrie Irving is is meritorious of more heat and contempt than Kanye West? Because it seems like he's getting all the heat now. Mm-hmm. Well, Kanye had the heat. And Kanye didn't endorse that documentary, from my understanding. I mean, again, dude didn't know anything about that documentary. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a Hitler quote. Because he didn't watch it. Because you can't watch it. I was, I told Toussaint, I told Toussaint, I said, you know what would be hella funny, Toussaint? If me, you, and Pascal were at my house and I made popcorn and we watched that shit, I guarantee we would talk shit for like 45 minutes and then turn it off. It would be funny. It would be funny and it would be entertaining as fuck, but after 45 minutes, we'd be like, okay, enough. (laughs) So we're we're deading the whole Kyrie Irving is an anti-Semite. I don't even think he understands the whole anti-Semitism. Again, I don't think he's a dumb man. I just think it's not on his radar. He doesn't because he still thinks that he's a Semite, which means that he cannot be anti-Semitic, which is not true. There's levels to it. I mean, lots of Jewish people will say that Netanyahu is an anti-Semite for the things that he says about Jews that are not in Israel. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, I just, there's a lot of history to it. And and you just have to learn it. Otherwise, you would never know, I guess, being a black person, regular black person. There's a lot. My stepmom had the Communist Manifesto. And I think I read it. I was like 9 or 10, maybe, maybe 11. I didn't know what the fuck I was reading. I didn't know what I was reading. Okay, okay. Didn't know what I was reading. Right? Mm-hmm. You need, you can't just read that stuff and go, I get it. You need the Pascal Roberts of the world to sit you down and. Oh, relax. And go. Pascal hey. Roberts have the Tory reads and the Cedric Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm. You know when I have an idea or something's going through my head, I call you up and talk to you about it and try to rationalize it with you and think through it with you. And you know, that's what we do. That's true. And and it's mm-hmm. foolish to think that you can take in and, it, and the whole thing. It, the, if you try to watch it, and again, it's eleven ninety nine to rent on Amazon. You know, I, I want to make a statement if you don't mind. Please. The whole theorization of black people relative to Hebrew Israelites is a very complicated subject. It's not something that you can just say, poof, ah, oh, this is true, this is not true. It's, it's a nuanced subject that requires deep understanding of history, scripture, 
geopolitics and nuances that are not going to be easily accessible on a street corner with someone shouting quotes from the Bible. It's <laughs> deeper than that. Yeah. Much deeper than that. And I don't think these guys are doing justice to the subject matter. No. No. No, not at all. And they don't really want to have a deeper understanding because if someone is quoting the Bible without the Bible in front of them and you haven't read the Bible and you might have a mild knowledge of a few stories, you think this cat is really on to something, especially if, you, if you're a believer. A lot of people seem to be supporting Kanye Kyrie and Candace now. I do want to, there's a talk in the chat about um, Iron Maiden albums and Somewhere in Time has my favorite Iron Maiden song on it. So that is my favorite Iron Maiden album between that and Killers. There. We've, we've handled two things, Kyrie Irving controversy and the best Iron Maiden album of all time. There you go. Two birds, one stone. That's what we do here. Done. Done, done, done. Now let's bring in our guests. This poor woman has been waiting. She um, hopefully she's been waiting patiently. Is she's she mad? Been... No, she is. She's on live now. Okay. Do you see her? <laughs> she's not wasting a minute. <laughs> I don't, I don't want her to be mad at me because I can't take a sassy New York woman mad at me. Like you and her mad at me, I would just mm. just walk off. You you ain't gonna win. You I'm ain't right within. Win. I'm exactly. Nope. I'm not nope. gonna win. No. She will be worse than MC Light in that movie Fly by Night. <laughs> Fly by night. <laughs> I'd be surprised how many people love the crap. MC Light did have some attitude in that movie. She really did. I don't even know why she was mad half the time. Because her her husband went to go chase the rap. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he did. Like, I'm still trying to figure out why he went to go chase the rap. Like, why couldn't you rap on the side? It's like, Negro, you work for Mass Transit. You got benefits and apparently yes. a nice apartment. Yes. MC Light is your wife. Nobody does that. Nobody. You don't does just that. hop out of the MTA. Who does that? To go chase the rap? To chase the rap. With some goofy dude that live in a torn down project? We've been talking about this movie for months. <laughs> <laughs> it's been months. Between that movie and the Asian lady calling somebody an N-word on the train, I'm questioning New York right now. I'm look I'm looking at you. In the hatchet man. You, NYC. I need you guys to explain to me what's going on in New York. What happened in 91 when that movie came out? It's just New York being New York, man. Did I, did I show you the video of the Asian lady calling some dudes N-word? You told me about it, play by play. Detail by detail, what everyone was wearing, where they were standing. <laughs> Pascal, did I send that to you? Unfortunately, yes, you did. Man. <laughs> You weren't thinking the same thing I was thinking. Like, nobody knocked that one out. But we didn't see the whole video. Maybe somebody 
did. Let's see if our guest knows about that. Inspired by her experiences as a single working mother living in a marginalized community, Tanya Denise Fields founded the Black Feminist Project, formerly known as the Black Project in 2009, as a response to sexist institutional policies, structurally reinforced cycles of poverty and harsh wealth inequalities and access to capital that result in far too many women being unable to rise out of poverty and sustain their families. The group's work has been covered by the New York Times, MSNBC's The Melissa Harris Perry Show, one of Pascal's favorite shows, the New York Daily News, and numerous other print and digital platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Uh oh, hold on. <laughs> What? Because my computer is just paused. Oh, pause. Yeah. yeah, it sucks. Sorry. Can you see me? Yeah. Yes. Well, look, you know, just, I, I can't see y'all. Please welcome Tanya Denise Fields. Exciting. Tanya, thank you. Thank you. Can she hear us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't, we can't hear you. Did you mute yourself? Uh-oh. What happened? Just had it too. Dang it. We were just talking to you. What What did you do? You was over there touching stuff. <laughs> yeah, you was. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you like you talking to them kids. You was over there touching something. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, while we were late, because we were all having a very fun conversation about uh, a reboot of Kid and Play. Try now, Tanya. Here, no. Tucson, Tucson Pascal, be entertaining while I try to help Tanya. Okay, no problem. No problem. So, Tucson's. Mm hmm. So since you are the orchestrator of today's show, you're looking forward to being able to talk about fruits and veggies in New York City. Fruits and veggies in New York City. I don't talk, you know, you're a vegan. Good. I'm sorry. Let's I have to put that in there. I'm a vegetarian. Hello. It's veganism is a philosophy. And vegetarianism is more so a diet, but if you're going to change your diet in that way, you're going to change in other ways, too. Okay. Yeah. Veganism includes uh, no animal products in your wardrobe as well. And oh. no honey. Yeah. Why honey? What's the problem with the honey? Because it's exploiting bees. So, okay. So, veganism is kind of like a challenge to the true humane treatment of anim animals. Yes. Oh. Yes. So those are the reasons why you become a vegan. It goes with the philosophy. But for you to become a vegetarian, you can have any reason you like. It could be your health. It could be just because you don't Hello? want to kill animals. All that. Do y'all hear me now? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Exciting. I don't know what was going on. I literally didn't touch anything. And then my, my I don't know, I went live and I just, I really mm -hmm. do that all of the technology is 
like getting ready to get together like Voltron, like AI, all that, all the shit be listening to us. And I was on the live and I was just, and I think all my shit in here conspired to be like, don't let that bitch talk. Don't, <laughs> don't do it. Do not let this lady get this mic working. So I don't know. Jason so it was a deep state, is what you're saying. It was a deep state. I literally went in and rechose the only link that was the only option. I just pressed it again and all of a sudden it started working. So there we go. Um, crazy. Have you been following this madness with uh, Kanye and Kyrie and black people get mad? And- no, K2. It's like just bad for your health. Like just don't take K2. Like I don't. <laughs> I am not trying to. I I have a, I have six kids. I have an organization. I'm building a brand. I do not give one single solitary fuck about Kanye or Kyrie. I'm gonna keep it a buck. <laughs> like energy is finite. You know, God willing. I won't leave here, get hit by a bus. But if today is my last, I don't want to have spent any of my time talking about either one of these niggas. Like, <laughs> you know, you, know like, so you have six kids. Are they all close in age? No, I have like three sets of Irish twins. I have a Ooh. 20 year old and an 18 year old. He's 17 months apart. Then mm-hmm. there's six years between the oldest and then the new set. So then they're 13 and 14 years apart. They're 18 months apart. And then there's four years, and I have an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they're 17 months apart. And now I have a next plan on implanted in my arm because obviously I have children in duplicate. So, yeah, my my kid was at, my youngest was petitioning for a um, like a baby brother, and I was like, nigga, you better go. Really? Oh my god. <laughs> You better go get a pack of fruit snacks. A baby is not anywhere in the cards. No, absolutely not. You was I'm looking at your dude. dude. You was looking at your dude like this. Do not come. Yeah. <laughs> Do not. I'm gonna come. <laughs> Grossly inappropriate, heavy on the gross. Um, I, uh, I no, I, I never intended to have six children. Like that wasn't a plan. You know, just kind of a thing that happened. And I didn't need to have, you know, like I started my organization way before, like even baby number three was thought about. You know what I mean? Like all I needed. But to you do still was- were able to do it, which is which is impressive. I mean, I have children. I have I have a few. I have children. Twenty seven. Twenty seven children. I'll pull out Game is trash. OK, I'm, <laughs> no. I'm there with you. It's trash. Tanya. I have a few kids myself. Um. Six of, them? six of them? I don't have six. See, like, when a man has a few kids, like, you know, like, I have six kids. They don't all have the same father, but they all mm-hmm. have to live with me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I have this mm-hmm. arrangement. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, like, why can't I split y'all up? <laughs> y'all- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why can't I be the weekend warrior? Why can't I get you every other weekend? <laughs> so, now nah, man have a few kids. He ain't got the same baby moms. He still can have a lot of control of his time, direction of his life. I, you know, I just had Say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had two. And I lived, I was a young mom. I was in, I had my first child. I was 22 years old. Um, I lived in Harlem when gentrification was at its pinnacle. And I wanted to be grown. My parents were like, you don't have to, you don't have to move out. You can stay here. But I was like, no, I want to be a family. You know, so me and my, I got an apartment and then my boyfriend came and joined me like the leech that he was. And mm. we're going to do this family thing together. 
and being in one of the like couldn't find housing in Harlem because they was wilding like (laughs) (laughs) gentrification was wilding they were like no affordable housing for you so I ended up in the Bronx which is right across the bridge you know it's us part of uptown I was 22 years old I'm getting ready to have this baby I'm going to school full-time I'm carrying 18 credits and I got to, by the time, you know, my kid was 17 months, I got another kid in the stash. I'm working in Starbucks. I'm working on the weekends. I'm going to school in the evening. My kids were with the West Indian babysitters so much, they spoke Patois. And I'm not joking. God, damn. Like, I didn't even recognize my kids. My daughter would be like, hand me me nappy. And I would be like, <laughs> <laughs> Who Whose little Jamaican child are you? Are we in the bush? I don't recognize you. I don't know. Um, because that's how hard I was. <laughs> and I was like, and by the way, what the fuck is a nappy? Right? You know, my brother. <laughs> I, I learned oh. that a nappy is British for diaper. It's diaper, but, yeah. Yeah. Right. I legitimately did not know I that. I made a nappy. And he was I like shaking your head. <laughs> Oh, and that that's basically how I got radicalized because I wanted to know what a nappy was. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this little motherfucker was insulting me. Like I pressed my hair yesterday. Right, how dare say, you talk about me? Exactly. I was like, I'm working so hard. I'll brush it tomorrow. <laughs> hot in that goddamn Starbucks. Oh. I wear all day anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm still thinking about the daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Mama didn't got a boo-boo. <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand what my kid was saying for like a year. And y'all were laughing, but I'm dead ass. I would take them to my I would take them to my parents' house. And they'd be like, what did she say? I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out too. <laughs> Before Google Translate was even a thing, and Google Translate don't be translating patois. You on your own with that shit. Any of like any sure. of our foreign languages, Wolof, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoruba, patois. Google Translate is not going to help you. Google Translate is like fuck that. We are we are consistent with our anti-blackness. We are not helping you here. So oh. <laughs> yes, go- I so I live in Mexico, Tanya, and Google Translate it does not work for me well in Mexico. Because uh, people look at me when I'm using it, and they're like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Just speak." Oh. Yeah, just speak in English. We'll we'll figure it out. Do some hand signals <laughs> and some shit. For real. So, Tanya, let me ask you a question, if you don't mind, please. Sure. What gave you the impetus to go through all of the working class struggles you were dealing with as a mother with all of these kids and translate that? into a food a healthy food advocate in inner city communities what was the spark that caused that energy to come forth um my second daughter basically being born with asthma now doctors will tell you that children are not born with asthma my daughter was born with asthma like from the time that she was like four months old we were in the hospital she had been hospitalized for respiratory issues um and when I first moved to the Bronx, uh, I moved into a um, I moved into a community called Longwood, which is right. 
it's juxtapositioned to Hunt's Point. Now, we all know Hunt's Point. If you're from a certain generation, I'm 42. Now, if you're from a certain generation, you remember the documentary, Hook is at the Point. You know, we know Hunt's people grown up in New York know Hunt's Point as a place that, um, you know, you can go like, you can get a chopped cheese, you can chop up a car and sell it for parts, you can visit a sex worker, um, and you can probably get robbed. Like this is this is the adventure of Hunts Point. This is the reputation that it had, and this was the only place that I could afford to live as a 22 year old mother um, with a three month old child who's putting herself through school. And when I first got there, I remember getting off the train, the six train in Longwood, and um, it stank so bad. Now I moved into um, yeah, child, I just moved from Webster Avenue. So it is a hellhole. It's still a hellhole over there. Every day is like the fucking wire. It feels like, and I know it's not Baltimore, but it feels, it's got that same feel. Like there were certain communities even now that just have not been able to somehow like out the sickness and the pathology of having to navigate you know, patriarchy and white supremacy and economic injustice, right? Which is all very much rooted in environmental injustice. I moved into a community that stank so bad because we had a company called NIAFCO, New York Organic Fertilizer Company. Now that sounds like some hot shit, right? That sounds like I could go there and get me some oat milk creamer, you know what I'm saying? I can get some <laughs> broccoli. Nah. They actually took 76% of the city's sludge. Now, for folks who don't know about New York, we are comprised of five boroughs. We are a city that, according to the last census, has somewhere between 8 to 10 million people in it. I'm actually going to say we probably have more like 12 million people in this city. 76% of the municipal waste of 12 million people was trucked into the Bronx. And sometimes those trucks sat on the street waiting to get into the facility that then had some some patented chemical process to turn that sludge into fertilizer. This community had been at that point navigating that for something like 15 years or some shit. Hmm. So I find all of this out one day just walking through this stanky ass hood. Now my kid is like three years old. The other one is damn near two. And I had graduated college. I thought that a job was going to fall like mana from the skies. And that didn't happen. And I didn't understand why. Now, just to even go back even a little bit further, I grew up in a single parent home. I was raised by my father and he raised the four of us. My father used to be like a Pan-African, you know what I'm saying? He would run into people on the, on the, on the street and they would call him Kwabana. And I'm looking at him like, who the fuck is Kwabana? Your name is Lynn, people call you Pete. Who is this African nigga they keep calling you? And <laughs> he had gotten the African name in the 70s. He'd run into OGs and they would still call him that. And mm. by the time I was 12, my father had gave me like everybody else at 12 is reading like fucking Judy Bloom and all this other shit. And my father gives me a fucking tattered ass copy of the autobiography of Malcolm X and tells me to read that. My father's idea of a good time 
right, as a broke single black man raising four children on his own, is he would get us together, he would pack us some lunch, and it wouldn't be like sandwiches, because we couldn't afford shit like deli meat. He would put like the the, the spaghetti from the day before, mm-hmm. he like put it in a thermos or some shit. <laughs> spaghetti out of a thermos on the corner of Edgecombe and 163rd Street. Not that's me. Some dad ass shit to do. Right? That's some dad ass shit, right? And he would take us out and he would give us walking tours. He would show us where certain revolutionary fights happened and what congressional battalion. And I'll be like, what the f- this is the mo- why are you so fucking corny, bro? Like, why can't we do shit like regular black kids? <laughs> and then what happened was I went to an HBCU for one year and I realized that black people are not a monolith. Like I grew Wait, up in time New out, New time out, time out. Which one did you go to? I went to what used to be Maryland State, but is now in the University of Maryland system. So it's University of Maryland Eastern Shore. But none of those University of Maryland Eastern Maryland University of Maryland people, they don't fuck with us. Like College Park, they don't fuck yeah. with us. People used to tell me I don't really go to University of, <clears throat> of, of Maryland. It was we go, we would go to Howard Homecoming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we we were a black college. We were HBCU. Mm-hmm. And so we just back when it was still a black college stuff when they had the because because you're you're if you're a little younger school, than me. It was like it was like school days, my nigga. Like seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was so that, with the BG County, Baltimore. So we listen to go-go music. People don't know doing but uh, yes. uh, that's go-go music. So yeah. I go to these parties. These girls be wearing white beaters and parasuco jeans, right? And what we call 5411, <laughs> they call princesses, right? Remember the Reebok Really? Classic? We call yeah. them 5411s. They call them princesses. They wear slouch socks. Do y'all remember motherfucking slouch socks? Yes, I remember those. <laughs> layer these motherfuckers it yes. would be like a blue pair a green pair and a white pair and then on the other side they alternate it's a white pair it's a green pair it's a blue pair and these girls will come with their hair slicked all the way back now we from new york we used to go to the tunnel you get cute you don't really dance too much you just do a two-step these motherfucking bitches to be out on the dance floor <laughs> and a nigga would catch them and then he'd turn them over and it'd be like that go-go music. You feel like it was in the fucking jungle. Doonga, 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 doonga. And then this nigga would say titty ball and a whole bunch of black women of varying sizes, a titty ball. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine some <laughs> black girl from Baltimore with size E titties, like swinging them in a circle. I was mortified when I got there. Tanya. What the fuck was happening? Tanya. Tanya, I need this to is stop when I thought of smoking weed. I was like, I can't cope. I can't. Right? But I also met like the Black Student Union. I met like little, I met Black children, I met teens who would have made my Pan-African Black father proud. Right. Mm-hmm. And there were like the Jack and Jill set too, right? These motherfuckers mm-hmm. that live in these all black communities where everybody made six figures. This did not happen in New York. I had some affluent black friends, but they're they were interracial. Like, right, <laughs> like one of the right. parents was white. Right. So for me to go to a community like in in, in PG County or Montgomery County and walk through and it's these sprawling beautiful houses and everybody is black. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. And for me, it planted this little tiny seed. 
when I can no longer afford to go there. And now here I am two years later with a fucking baby so far from the future I had thought of for myself. I got a fucking baby. My bougie black friends would have never. Girl, you're having a baby at 21? What about your internships? (laughs) 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 And I'm bringing coffee at fucking Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And I started realizing it actually didn't matter how hard I worked. All it could take is one wrong decision as a black woman in this country for me to be plunged into poverty. Because that's what happened. I came from a working class, adjacent to struggling, but like we wasn't raised on welfare. I didn't know anything about a welfare office. And now here I am with two little babies on my lap at 23, 24 years old, working two or three jobs with this no good ass nigga that I decided to shack up with and I'm too scared to leave because I don't want to be a single mother at a fucking welfare office. And the lady is turning me down because I make $8 and 62 cents too much. And I don't know how the fuck I am going to feed these little motherfuckers. I know what it's like to be hungry. My kids never went hungry because I would feed them first. And then I would sit there at this little tiny, you know how you go into the dollar store, you used to be mm-hmm. able to get these little ugly ass kid chairs for like $50. Mm-hmm. I felt so fancy. I, you know, I'm like, oh, look, they got, I don't know what was popping back then, Dora or some shit, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That was the mm-hmm. character. And I'm sitting at this little tiny table. This I was almost 300 pounds. This 300 pound woman sitting at this little table, hoping that my two kids don't eat everything on the plate because I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. And I don't spend the last $17 I had on a Metro car. Remember when unlimited Metro cards were mm-hmm. $17 for the week? I know you remember that. I remember I know that. There's some younger people probably in the chat like $17 for a week. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I remember when they used to have tokens, motherfucker. Tucson, what did I say? Tucson, what did I say? I said, this is going to be a New York show. Very New York. I'm such a fucking New Yorker. I'm not a street bitch, but I'm no, a this, look, it's I'm okay. like, I'm so New York. I am. I own that. When I went to school in Maryland, they called me New York. I remember <laughs> saying, I remember having a brief conversation with somebody. He was like, First of all, they said I had an accent. I don't know if you ever heard motherfuckers from PG County talk. They say yes. they dogs, dugs, right? Dugs, you got mm-hmm. current. I thought niggas was trying to put seasoning on me. They were saying you got carried. Now you got, I thought, but they say you got current. You got current. <laughs> Are you trying to curry me? Don't curry me, right? And curry, right. which is carry, meant you trying to, you trying to shade me. Right. But they be like, don't curry me. Don't curry me. Don't curry me. Y'all trying to curry me. And I would be like, why is she, what is going on with the spices? And then I told me what it meant. So I was like, oh shit. But I opened my mouth and literally three sentences in, they was like, oh, you from New York, right? And I was like, I had never been. He's like, word is born. Right. <laughs> you know they knew it was yeah. you. You had the Tims on. That's how they knew you was that, from New that, York. No, I did. I wore Tims everywhere. Nigga, it be the summertime. And girls in New York. Yes. You remember this? So, so you remember this? We would have I do. the little tiny shorts that cut into your thighs at the top. Mm-hmm. Socks and a pair of fucking Tims. It's 97 yes. degrees. You are experiencing urban heat island effect. People in cities are hotter, and my ten toes are in these. Fucking Tims. I'm hot. I'm angry. That's why we angry. 
Because our feet are hot. That's why we angry. This is why we be ready to fight. That athlete's foot, yeah. son. <laughs> I was at Orchard Beach this summer, and there was a dude out there selling nutcrackers, and he had on fucking Tim's in the sand on the beach. I kid you not. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> where my right hand the black Hakeem Jesus. <laughs> black Hakeem Jesus. Hakeem Jesus is always late for a miracle, by the way. <laughs> Good to know. He's not always there when you call, but he's always on always time. Yeah, Hakeem Jesus time. got his license Hakeem suspended. Jesus. He's not playing with that. He's <laughs> slapped the shit out of you too. Fuck you. <laughs> Hakeem Jesus be fronting like he a vegan. Right. He McDonald's at the low. On the low. <laughs> <laughs> Hakeem Jesus. Does Hakeem so, Jesus drink to, to small liquor? That, that question in the most roundabout <laughs> way. <laughs> it was essentially my dad getting, not being able to afford school, but experiencing all of these varying degrees of blackness and then experiencing like fucking soul crushing poverty in one of the poorest congressional districts and realizing that all of that shit was very much steeped in environmental justice. I started this work doing environmental justice because my daughter had asthma, bad asthma, mm-hmm. still does to today. She still like suffers. It's just like, and people see asthma as, oh, you fuck around, you're going to find out and just have an asthma attack. That's not how it works. It is a comprehensive whole body condi- condition. <clears throat> She's got skin issues. She's got mm. sleep issues. Like all of these different things in your body, if they are not working in concert with one another, it will upend you. Like she gets very, very bad allergies. Those allergies cause her not to sleep well. That inability to sleep well has given her like a, like a, feeling in her body almost like she's constantly uh, in shock almost, right? So she has anxiety because she cannot regulate her nervous system because she's not getting enough sleep. So we don't think about that when we think about asthma. But my 23-year-old poor ass struggling through school, I found all that shit out because I was like, I need to like fix my daughter. Like my daughter's like broken. How can I fix her? And then I realized, oh, this is not like a simple, you go and get, you know, sustainably grown organic food, right? Which is part of it, right? Like access to food. That's how I ended up taking a detour to food. Because I was like, I I became, I wasn't full-fledged. I wasn't like a full-fledged Dr. Sebi type nigga. I was on on the way, though. I was on the way. I was about to, I was about to be a fucking queen of Fua, Dr. Sebi, broccoli is head wrap, smell like black kush ass nigga. That's who I was about black to be. Black soap using oh. ass. <laughs> I was Egyptian on, musk. I was on my Egyptian way. musk ass. Yes. Okay, I was on my way. I was definitely on my way. So I'm glad somebody got me real quick. I'm glad feminism said, bitch, no, we need you. Yeah. Making your own candle Get her. ass. Get her. We need her. Don't, don't. They was like, Carol Ann, don't go into the light, Carol Ann. <laughs> she was like, but I want to solve AIDS with Brian. Somebody got me. They was like, Luke, I am your father. Don't, don't, don't. Do that. <laughs> don't do that shit. It's oregano oil. You solve do, AIDS. Do they, hey, do they, have, a, do they yeah. have a spot in New York where all those people congregate and have a drum circle? Because we have a spot in Berkeley, California like that, where all them cats congregate. 
And, we uh, used to. I'm so disconnected from that now. I'm sure that they do. But with gentrification being as bad as it is, all of those, like, there used to be a vegan spot on 125th Street that I would go into. Was, I think it was called like Natural Health or something. Watkins. Watkins. I used to go into Watkins. Them mm. niggas would be in there heavy, heavy. It was like gang, gang. You know what I'm saying? You can't do it. It was like, ooh, ooh. Like, it was like, yeah. <laughs> The Hebrew Israelites <laughs> in one corner, Rasta <laughs> Itow niggas in another corner, mm-hmm. Dead Prez and two niggas in another corner. And I was in right. here just trying to get chlorophyll. I just like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I just, I don't want no problems. Don't nobody approach me trying to recruit. I don't want no, I don't want no static. You know what I'm saying? Right. Just let me get my fucking rose hip oil for my womb. And get the hell up out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that is so real. That is that is the experience. It really is like that. But there so not, was there a drum circle as well? Because we would have nah, our cats Mark, Mark be Garvey Park. Shit. Marcus Garvey Park used to be the yes. spot for the drum circle. Like back when Marcus Garvey Park was bad, bro. Like when you would go in there and get robbed, and then the same nigga in that the robbed drum circle. You, like, would like try to sell you your shit back. You know what I'm saying? Like when we saw That's... the ravaging effects of heroin, oh, heroin in our communities, Marcus mm-hmm. Garvey Park was that place. And those people with those drums, I can sit here and be a little facetious, but those brothers and sisters in there with their drums and all of that fucking funky ass, you know what I'm saying? Jasmine smelling black shit. Like they <laughs> created a space mm-hmm. that was safe while they were there. You know what I'm saying? Right. And the fucking gentrifiers bought up all of that fifth and park and and then those brownstones that black people couldn't get funding for. Yeah. Right. And if you bought a building from the city, the city was trying to offset these buildings, selling for a dollar, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars of steel. Then you go to the bank and the bank will be like, no, 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 <laughs> no. 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 Black people. That fucking Hispanic maid on fucking on fucking what was that family guy? No. Yeah. no. Like, be like the fucking maid from fucking Get Out. No, 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 no. <laughs> bank be like the fucking mother from Candyman. She be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, don't say that. Funding, don't say that. No. Black people were showing up with suitcases full of money. They were serious. Like we're gonna we're gonna buy back Harlem, and they were not allowed to. No. And That's so not what Strictly was, Business told me. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> strictly Business. Does Tanya remember? Right strictly after you watch Hidden Colors, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One, two, three, four, four A, four B. Roman numeral five. <laughs> Do you remember Strictly Business with uh with Denise's husband from the Cosby Show and Halle Berry? I remember. I used to watch all of those black movies, and then sometimes I, I try to watch them now, and I can't. Yeah, I, 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 they have yeah. not aged well. I be having invite me to your house, and we will watch them, and you will laugh your behind off. They are no, still I watch funny true well. crime. I watch true crime. I watch Investigation Word. Discovery. I was. I really. I need. I need. I need lots of white on white violence. <laughs> I need a daily reminder that white people are fucking insane and so all of this shit that I have internalized about my own pathology is mm-hmm. not true. These niggas set the standard. This lady will fucking have a great ass fucking dope ass husband start fucking the 
the dusty black cashier down at the 7-Eleven. They will all of a sudden conspire that they're going to kill her rich husband. They kill him in the most sloppy way possible. They try to cut his body up. That don't work. So they put him in a in a, a tub, like a, a bin and leave him in the garage. And then she calls literally the day that he dies, like the day he goes missing, she calls the insurance company like, hey, are you going to send me that check? And I'm mean, like, what cannot be what we have set as the fucking moral and intellectual like standard and compass. There's no way. And there's too many of these stories that they keep churning out every day, every week for me to not be like, this is actually a pattern. Right? Tanya, like, yeah. Tanya yes. I want you to know something about me. I spent the majority of my years playing music, playing like heavy metal, punk rock music, and weird music all over the country. And I love that. Black people only live in like five cities. First and foremost. Yeah. Everybody, there's not black people everywhere. I took my daughter on tour and we got to Montana. And she looked at me, she goes, Dad, there's no black people. I was like, Oh, honey, we won't see Negroes till Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't so exist. I, I know this. I wasn't. I wasn't with the punk band. I. I. Uh, I but but I, I, I. I. I'm sorry. I, I say that because I watch an insane amount of true crime. I was watching uh, American Justice with Bill Curtis before Toussaint <laughs> had interrupted me last night. Because Bill, right. I, I love Bill Curtis, and when he does the true crime with American Justice, right? He used to come on A and E back in the day, and um. So I go to all the like the places you're talking about. I've been to all those places. Yes. Those are the most frightening places yeah. you will ever go time. to. I get very nervous when I go somewhere and there's just tons of white people. I'm the only yes. black one, especially because I'm hood. You, I mean, like I don't know if y'all have noticed, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> I'm not just any black person. Like I will like. So I used to tour the country doing like BDSM. They call them like speaking engagements, but really I just go places and white people pay me money to tell them everything that's wrong with me. <laughs> come up to me. Right? So it's like a form of PSM. That's really what it is. And so <laughs> I go to these places and white people will start crying. Some white men will get upset at me and like the person in the chat accuse me of reverse racism. Like, like whatever. Mm. And they do all of that and then they would give me a significant amount of money for it, uh, at least for me at the time. As a single mother, I go someplace, someone flies me out first class mm-hmm. to the University of Kansas and gives me a little plaque and $2,000. That's that's That was a big deal for me. And I would go in these places and I would, I would have it in my writer where they would make, like, I would say, you have to also let my children come. So a lot of times I'd either get plane tickets for my kids. And remember, I'd have six of them at that time, which is like two, two or three, or I would drive. And we would get to these places and I, I, me, like this, but also 300 pounds, would walk in and people would be like, oh my God, what the fuck, Tanner? Who is this? Like it was. (laughs) And then inevitably there is something about me. I have a way of saying some of the most crash shit in a way that people think is entertaining or funny or whatever. And I realized early on that was a gift that I could say some really hard things in a way that because of the humor or the sassiness, people would like they like white people would be endeared to. 
or in, enraged by. I get both. There's usually nothing in the middle. And a very interesting thing started happening. I would, early on in my career, I would do this and I would think white people because they're coming up to me because they're crying, because they're really angry, but they're angry and they would still talk to me. And somewhere along the line, there'd be some meeting of the minds. And I would think, oh my God, I'm really like changing. Like I am, I am, I am helping to shift culture. Right. Because I was still very much in this like Martin Luther King Jr. NAACP form of blackness. And what then through my experiences, right, becoming a not a nonprofit leader, becoming a recognized organizer and now actually needing to go from ideas to action and realizing in a capitalist society, I need access to resources to do that. I got keenly aware with the fact that white people will say anything in that moment because they want to feel better. And in that moment, you've made them feel better. Right. But when they get out into the real world, that let like reminds them that to ally yourself with black people, to become a radical accomplice, because I really don't need an ally. Right. I need an accomplice. Mm. I need that when we both get locked up, nigga, you looking at me like you better not snitch. You better not <laughs> I need fucking Karen to be looking at me around reproductive justice. Like when we both get locked up, she better look at me like, bitch, you better not say nothing. My lawyer coming. Don't say nothing. I need a radical accomplice. I don't need an ally. Allyship is too fickle. <laughs> it requires mm-hmm. you to, it requires you to like me. That's what I started learning. People only wanted to hear what I had to say when like there was something about me. And then I started realizing even got in the words of the prophet Meek Mills, there's levels to this shit. It got even deeper. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I started realizing I am a almost six foot tall, 300, big nose, strong featured black woman. I look like all those pictures of those mammies. And people started, other black women started calling me that. Tassan, you know this. You, you, you've you seen this. I've right? seen the Facebook post. I've right. seen the Facebook You've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. This was happening early Wait, on. Wait, time Facebook. out, time out. They, why were they calling? What about because you? Because I am out here trying to educate white people uh-huh. with all of these kids on my uh-huh. titty and no man to be seen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So And they were calling you mammy? Of a mammy. What? But I'm going to tell you for as much as it offended me, and that's another mm-hmm. show to even yeah. to explore the archetype of a mammy. That's a completely, that's a whole show on it. I'm a little offended by the comment. Right. But then what I also mm-hmm. started realizing was you eat the meat and throw away the bones. Sometimes it's not what you say is how you say it. Sometimes it can be a both and. They were fucked up for saying it. It was very much rooted in anti-blackness, but also they mm-hmm. were kind of right. Here I am in this room full of white people. Mm-hmm making them laugh, making them feel comfortable talking about racism. Maybe I say some shit that's uncomfortable, but I'm always like towing that line of like getting them out of their comfort zone and then woo-woo-wooing them mm-hmm. to like recognize some uncomfortable truths. And then I get out in the real world and so do they. And they realize being a radical accomplice to a bitch like me mm-hmm. means that you have to give up something that the hegemony, that white imperialism and patriarchy and supremacy is going to do you bad. I mean, look what the fuck they did to John Brown. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that has not changed. Do you know what white people hate more than black people? Poor white people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they realize, I actually don't want to give up these things for you to have something. Like, a sense of self-preservation kicks in. Because here I'm doing all of this. I feel like I'm shifting culture and then I got to go out there and be amongst it, get the grants, get the resources, ask for the platform, 
And all of a sudden, when white people were no longer in a paternalistic relationship with me, when I stepped up and said, I am actually your colleague and your equal, my lived experience mm -hmm. is all the validation and uh, 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 credential that I need to be in these spaces and making sure that black women like me also have access. Like, okay, I'm glad that I made you laugh. Now let me go in your pocket. And then white people be like, hey, 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 hold on there, buddy. <laughs> you know, like you moving a little, you know what I'm saying? Like, or some white led philanthropy organization would give me a little bit of money. I do mean little, like back in the day, I used to think $10,000 is a lot of money. $10,000 is nothing. I could talk to y'all right now, do this podcast, get on this phone and spend $10,000. I kid you not. <laughs> thousand dollars is no motherfucker. None. Calm down, Eight. Foxy Brown. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a city girl, though. Don't Foxy Brown be making me old. Mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> I'm a city girl. <laughs> I'm a Foxy Brown auntie to the city girls, right? So now. <laughs> You know, because you know City Girls got an auntie like Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown walks to the City Girls kid running scam. And so, like, <laughs> I'm starting to realize that it doesn't matter how you make people feel if they are actually not willing in a capitalist society to put their money where their mouth is, right? To And, that, and I, I mean that both literally and figuratively. It means that in a capitalist society, in order, for, in order for us to get equity, we have to be talking about things like wealth redistribution. I would say shit like that, and some white person would get mad, get mad and be like, you're a socialist. And I'd be like, bitch, yes, haven't you been paying attention? I'm a fucking socialist. When did that become a pejorative? But isn't that kind of, <clears throat> and I know a lot of people don't like, or people that probably watch this show are not maybe fans of his work, but I think it is pretty important work uh anon girdadas when he wrote uh, winner take all kind of talking about that space that you're speaking about right now where there was a woman um there was a woman who would talk about uh feminism in the workplace and she, she couldn't get anyone to really listen to her spiel and once she started talking about changing her posture not really challenging the patriarchal structures within the corporate environment, but just, you know, if women just change their posture akin to lean in feminism, she started um, making six figures for speaking engagements because she wasn't threatening um, the power structure. And I think there's to, to what you're saying, you know, it is hard to raise money for any sort of, leftist project and, and and you know I, I'll, I'll take the leftist out any project that involves having to ask rich people for money as someone that's worked with the unhoused in california is extremely hard to raise money and you do have to kind of tap a, a certain liberal feelings button on people that's why there's people that raise money and there's people like me that can't i don't know how i'm not good at it um and it does mess with you a little bit internally, I think, because at some point you, you, you're you constantly kind of asking yourself, am I, quote unquote, selling out, whatever that means. Um, my main mission so I can get the funds so I can do this thing that's literally feeding people. Um, so once you start talking about wealth redistrib redistribution and, and truly challenging that hedge money that you were talking about, 
I definitely can understand people turning off and not wanting mm-hmm. to deal with it. And then I'm doing it look like this. I'm not I'm not Michelle Alexander. There's no alphabet behind my name. That's I, I could <laughs> what? I fucking love her. I wouldn't be a shady. I swear to God I wouldn't. Mm. I, no, no, no. We we talked about the problems with that book. It's just right. we, we, we did a whole show on light skinned people before. But that's I was getting ready to get to that, right? Because like I said, mm-hmm. profit meek mills, levels to the yeah. shit. Okay, put it on a yeah. t shirt. Right? Like that's what I'm about to say. Like, it got to a, like, and people, we don't want to talk about it. Like, I see some of the shit, if I look like I was fucked up, it's I am, but I'm also reading the, the, uh, oh, the chat <laughs> I want to kind of be arguing with some of these people, and I'm like, no, stay on brand. Because that was the yeah, other thing, I want to argue and convince people. I am not about to, I say this shit online all the time. I'll say something and somebody want to at me online and go back and forth. And I'll be like, oh, girl, you thought we was about to have a conversation. I'm not about to argue with you. Exactly. I'm not going to argue with you about some shit that I already know to be Mm -hmm. right. And I'm also not Mm going to argue with somebody else who has already decided that their shit is that, like, there's no agree to disagree about who I am as a person and my ability to show up and my right to be able to feed my fucking kids decent quality food that's not pumped full of shit and housing that is not run by some fucking city-run racket cartel where we've got people using vouchers to live in housing that looks as bad as the shit that we see on TV supposedly about developing nations. And I live here now in Westchester County with motherfuckers who live in big, sprawling houses because of that. And that was eight months ago. I lived in motherfucking housing where there was blunt guts in the staircase. And 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 the door was never fixed. There's no level of safety. And I'm spending hundreds of dollars to exterminate every month because I'm trying to keep the roaches out of my fucking apartment. Mm-hmm. And somebody is getting paid $2,500. My rent was $2,500 a month to live in that. That's considered a steal in the market right now. Mm-hmm. And this person is a millionaire because of this. Like, I'm not going to argue with you about, I'm not going to argue with you about any of that. If you don't, if you don't see that, well, then I am going to conspire to fucking steamroll you. You are literally a threat Mm -hmm. to me and my children. You are a threat to the women in my community and their children. You are an enemy. That's it. Do you feel like maybe having kids radicalized you in a certain way? Absolutely. I was definitely about to be one of these corporate bitches engaging in respectability politics. I was one of those black women who would punch down on other black women, even as a fat, dark skin, considered unattractive because I do not con- conform to any of the Eurocentric beauty standards that we uphold in this country. I- I've been called ugly my whole life. I'm still called ugly. I'm 42 years old and men will get on the internet and call me ugly. Men who look like the dirty side of a wash rag. And I'll be like, why did you <laughs> <laughs> He left. <laughs> he just left. But yes, I have seen it. And I'm like, also, but so what? Why do you think that I even exist? Like, why do you think that you finding me desirable means anything? But actually, the way desirability politics work, finding people desirable does mean something. It means a lot. People get rewarded for being desirable. 
I lost 110 pounds. My life has gotten better because of it. I'm not going to lie to you. My life has gotten better because of it, because I lost 110 pounds. I'm still black as hell. I'm still considered ugly, but at least I ain't fat. So I got something working for me. You know what I mean? Like, and that, Ronnie, that's, that's are, a massive are, weight is, loss, too. This, that is a massive weight loss. I'm over here. I'm over here happy because I can fit into these tight ass pants right now, Tanya. And you lost 110 pounds, making me just just shitting all on my. But that's the thing. Soul. Now I am at my highest. I was 310. I'm now 200 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And if I if I may just you know whatever on myself right now. There you you go. know, like, this is Bam. this is what I'm working with right now. There I've had go. a boob job. I've had a boob job because you don't lose 110 pounds. <laughs> turn around. You You're not gonna hit us with the backside, huh, Tanya? Oh. Oh, we doing back shots? I love there you go. Shots. Oh, you got okay. little shots. Oh, oh my god. Mr. Oh, get it. Get it. Yo. Sorry. You need to follow her on social media because she's a riot. But here's the thing. I'm still obsessed with losing more weight. Like, I'm, I'm still considered, I'm almost six feet tall. I am still still considered a large woman. I don't want to be large anymore, but there's no way for me to get out of it. But this is, if you, I don't care what color woman you are. I think for anybody who is a woman, who's a feminine, I would actually even say men. My my partner is a fat man. He's a fat brown skin man. And we talk about body politics. I just think men don't get enough space because they keep holding up, upholding patriarchy to talk about the ways black men talk about the ways that even being bigger as black men really it can be a detriment to what you can have access to in society. No one talks about the fact that every black dude in the movie, regardless of the movie or TV show, is ripped. And if you're not, then you're you're a, a, a Professor Clump. Right. Mm. I mean, no one likes to talk about that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't saw a Black Panther last night, and I'm not going to say anything really about the movie. I'm just going to give it, use it as a context. I don't want to spoil mm. it. it. Literally, just came out yesterday. Like I'd be a complete asshole. To say, oh, it's kind of it's, we all we all know what happened. I they wouldn't won. do that. I ha- I hate bitches like that. I'll punch you in your they mouth. They won. Fucking spoiler right. movie for me that I really wanted to see. Um, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I said was like I really love some of the more radical themes that the Marvel universe, and I'm talking about even before they made movies, right? Like mm-hmm. Stanley and Marvel. I mean, listen, he was an old white man. If somebody came out late and said something that seemed very old white manish about him, I wouldn't be shocked, right? He's an old white man. Everything white people are gonna have their blind sides. That's privilege, right? But for someone who had the ability to use his platform when a lot of other comic book creators were using comic books as pro-American propaganda, he went in the completely opposite way right? He led this comic book company that was really going to like explore some of these things. We could, we could quibble about whether or not it was revolutionary, revolutionary enough. And there, trust me, there are lots of black people online who were like, y'all talk about Wakanda, but it was written by white people. You know, motherfuckers who never want you to have nothing, right? People who are dogmatic. Like, <laughs> no. I, I don't talk to them niggas. Like, damn, y'all niggas are just angry and mad all the time. Like, damn, mm-hmm. like, just relax. The fuck. Let people like, enjoy things. Let people yeah. enjoy things. You can let people enjoy things that maybe even you wouldn't enjoy, but maybe you should enjoy some things. You wouldn't be so unpleasant to be around. Nobody likes that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Thanks for shitting on half the audience. Oh, <laughs> <my God. laughs> 
Somebody said Adolf Reed. You guys don't know the real Adolf Reed. He enjoys the fuck out of life and enjoys a lot of things you people probably don't think he enjoys. So. Yeah. So, you know, I, but the one thing that I was struck by is what I said. I said, we have had a disabled person who basically runs all of X-Men. He is one of the biggest Marvel like mm-hmm. archetypes, yeah. right? This is a disabled person. We got beautiful black people in Wakanda. I said, when are we going to get a fucking fat superhero? Like, let's be serious. Don't, and don't girl, talk girl. She-Hulk or, or Hulk or any. And that's not even Marvel. That's DC, I think. I, I don't even, I don't know the gangs anymore. Bloods and Crips. Squirrel Girl is like, in Marvel. She's a new Avenger. Yeah, who? she's chubby. Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Okay, I'm going to check yeah. that out. Yeah. Squirrel Girl. She's chubby. Yeah. We always got to be a fucking animal, but all right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know what's so funny that you say this? I was thinking about this yesterday. I know we're about the same age. I'm a little older than you. But there was a show back when we were kids called Robotech. And it was the first anime that was really done big time in the States. And uh, one of the characters was a trans woman, which we would have called him a cross-dresser back then. Right now we say mm-hmm. transgender. And it was a badass. They were a badass. I thought they had the dopest fucking jet. I thought they had the dopest motorcycle. And I was thinking about like growing up watching this show. My heroes on that show uh, were this trans woman. And then they had another one where there was a woman that was in charge of this like tank division and she was always fucking niggas up. And I was like, damn, Dana Sterling is hard as fuck. And, uh, and that was the 80s. Yeah. And, you know, people may not know this, but uh, originally uh, Magneto and Xavier are supposed to be Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Yes, mm-hmm. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's why they have uh, a disagreement on ideology. Mm-hmm. Right. There's really not a good guy, bad guy thing as much as it right. is. They weren't really villains, right? It was yeah. anti-heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that there's, there's, I don't know, there's interesting stuff about Marvel. I mean, I... Again, I'm going to watch Black Panther 2. I'm probably going to cry. I'll watch Black Panther whenever it comes on, but I understand that Wakanda is not real, and it is a monarchy. <laughs> you know, so for me, yesterday was Wakanda Day, and it was yeah. also Veterans Day, and at my, we opened um, a community center at the Black Feminist Project at the height of the pandemic. I said, yo, shit is about to get real, real out here. Cops is wilding. Folks is standing online at the grocery store. It is looking like fucking food ration lines, right? And we're supposed to be, we can't get no PPE. Folks are supposed to be six feet apart. And I'm watching fucking Tanisha ride the back of fucking Maria outside of the overpriced ass sea town. And ain't nobody got a fucking mask on. Like niggas is t- like, it really did look like bloods and crips and shit, like warriors out there. Niggas really had kerchiefs tied around their face, if that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. said, we need a literal space. This is bad. This is bad. And I would, you know, I had the resources, right? Having built my organization to an organization that has a, you know, a little bit of a budget, right? We have like a $500,000 budget. Again, that's no money. I had to sustain a team of eight. Mm. I run an urban farm called the Black Joy Farm, right? We have 30 chickens, we keep bees, we grow hundreds of pounds of food, we need all of that work equipment, we got volunteers coming in, we doing mutual aid, 
and I got eight people who are working, not for living wage. They got no fringe benefits. $500,000 to run an organization ain't nothing. It brings us back to that original point. If I straightened up my posture, if I took this shit out of my mouth, <laughs> if I got a silk press every other week, mm-hmm. if I had respectable French manicured nails without all of the fucking gel overlays, I could probably have, I'm, I am brilliant. Fuck that. I'm never going to play myself down on that ever again in life. I'm fucking brilliant. I could have a well-funded organization if I did it. Thank you, baby. Go over there, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. He's a mm-hmm. Scorpio. He needed y'all to see him. <laughs> he does that every fucking video thing I get on. He makes sure. And then he'd be like, hi. <laughs> That's my that's my light skin child. That's the child that I would take down to Central Park and people would ask me if he was my kid or they wouldn't know if I was a nanny because he's so light. And that's that is a surreal experience to have uh, when you have a child who looks so different than you. But, yeah, like I could have been a well-funded organization. I made a decision that I was not going to code switch. I made a decision to embrace ratchet as praxis. Can I ask you a question, Tanya? Mm-hmm. Did you ever find that black people who are trying to play the game were trying to play the game who think that they're winning at the game are mm-hmm. harder on you than the white folk that you're told are supposed to be your enemy? No. I think they're just more honest. You think they're I more honest? I think they're more honest. I think even white people who like me, they feel the same things as black people. I feel it about myself sometimes. You can't get away from it. We're all indoctrinated. Like, you know, the dearly departed ancestral Auntie Bell Hook said, like, we're, we all are indoctrinated. None of us are untouched by any of this shit. I ask myself sometimes, why the fuck would you have six kids by four different dudes? Why would you continue to have kids you knew you did not, you could not afford? Because hmm. babies is cute. I think... <laughs> I mean, there's an answer to it. I have an answer to it. Yeah. I just am trying mm-hmm. to figure out whether or not I'm high enough, like, like if I'm not too high to to, to actually adequately explain it to y'all, because it's a it's a multi layered, uh, it's a multi layered answer, and it is very much steeped in uh, politics because the, the the political is personal. But the reality too is I've also learned not to waste my breath. A lot of people are not ready to hear that. It just sounds like more mm-hmm. excuses to them. These are the people who say woke as a pejorative. <laughs> well, who say to you, oh, y'all love blaming everybody else for your poor decisions. Because usually poor decisions are to be blamed on somebody else. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I remember telling a white colleague on a panel one time, you didn't make good choices, nigga. You had good mm-hmm. choices. You see the difference? You didn't make good choices. You had good choices, bitch. This lady, Rosie, Sophia, Rosings, whatever her name is, that bitch. Bitch, if you bite me, I'm going to take your fucking head off. I would have killed that girl that day. Shout out to that girl who kept her composure. Because Sophia would have died, baby. I would have dog walked her. I would have stomped her. What happened? Who got bit? What happened? There's some video going around. What was it? University of... What's one of them places you talking about you went to when you was on the punk we was in a punk band? That's university of somebody in the chat will know. Okay. University or whatever. University of very, very white people. 
<laughs> Boise. Okay. And there was a student, um, is at the University of Kentucky, UK. Oh, I've been to, I've been there to Lexington several UK times. Student, yeah. I think a freshman. This girl's like okay. 22 years old. Okay. This is a teenager. I don't know what sparked it, what popped it off. I will not watch the video. I'm not going to watch the video because I have made a commitment to myself to no longer engage in watching the continual brutalization of black bodies. I'm not. I don't think it helps. I think it just desensitizes us. I think in a world where everything is a reality TV, that it does not help anything. But the point is, according to police reports and everybody else on the internet, she called this girl nigger no more time. I'm saying it very specifically, nigger. Hard on. I was saying earlier, right? Mm -hmm. She called it that no less than like 30 times. People, because the the internet is undefeated. You know, (laughs) black people, we become fucking Sherlock Holmes on this motherfucker. We be solving crimes on the internet. (laughs) So they counted no more, no less than 30 times. She hit this girl and bit this girl. When the police came to lock her up, she hit them too. So now she's facing charges. When homegirl is doing the perp walk, her parents come out there, they put this over the head, they hired a spinner who's already put it out there, they have an attorney. Guess what? She cannot go back to that college, but her ass is going to go to some college. She Mm. may not even go to some college, but the reality is unless someone makes her family destitute, she's probably still going to be all right. And even if she goes destitute, she's a skinny, good-looking, blonde-haired white girl. Somebody will marry her ass. She will be okay. She has good choices, even when she makes terrible ones. I got friends that did perp walks and did whole bits. Mm-hmm. My program director is a fucking felon. When she did her bid, nobody came to see her. When she left, she left with the shit that she went in on. Both of her parents were gone off this plane by the time she was 15 years old. And from that moment on, she has lived pillar to post. So when she makes bad decisions, what decision did she fucking have? Well, isn't that a rich a rich person thing more than it is just simply a white girl thing? Because again, working with homeless people, there was a lot of them that was really cute back in the day that uh, was still on them streets. And there's something to be said about, you know, having money and being able to not have to. I went to two different high schools. I went to a high school that was not in my neighborhood. And one thing that surprised me was all kids did the same thing. Um, even dealt with police in the in the better high school I went to. But it was the parental involvement with dealing with the police that I found very interesting um, compared to where I'm from. Uh, we didn't have that same level of parental involvement to the point where police were like, we just don't want to deal with your mom coming down to the station and actually having a being at the town hall meeting and, you know, protesting the fucking mm-hmm. curfews and shit like that. We, we didn't see that to the same level, uh, in the neighborhood I'm from in, in Richmond, California. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't seen the video. I, I don't, 
I was you just know, joking with Pascal about, and I I probably wouldn't want to see it. Yeah. So she's just yelling the N word at some at some woman. She, literally, I mean, it's from what I understand, this was a very bizarre and insane thing to view. Uh-huh. I don't know if anybody intervened. That's always like the flip side of these videos too. Like somebody was standing and recording this. Well, the, while the, the else was being attacked. The one I saw, Tanya, that I was fucking with Pascal about before you got on the screen, and I was like, Pascal, I'm mad in New York for this. It's a woman, it's an Asian woman on the train, and she's going, You're a nigger. She goes, B boy, you're big. And I'm you like, I'm trying to figure out what New York she's in, what time of the day she was riding the train, where, what neighborhood. Because I can tell mm-hmm. you anything above 96, she'd have got popped, bro. That's what I was. So I thought the yes. video was her getting knocked out, right? So she's like, she goes, You're a nigger. And uh, and so then this white dude comes up, and the white dude's like, Hey, we've had enough. And she goes, what the hell are you supposed to do? Talk some no, sense into me? She's like, fucking mind your business. And <laughs> she went on him. And then she started yelling at some black woman sitting down. And she was like, you have a nigger vagina. And anyone that has sex with you is a nigger. And I was like. And then wow. I love the people who are like mental illness. No, that bitch was a racist before she got mentally ill. Mental illness does not yeah. turn you into a no, racist. Stop doing that. When people I, want to blame mm-hmm. everything on mental illness, it does a deep, deep disservice to people who are really struggling with mental illness in a way in which they deserve and are worthy of like humanity and fucking compassion. And this bitch was deserving of an ass whooping. Point blank, period. I can help That's her get medication right. after that. We can call <laughs> someone after that. Yeah, you can hear someone and you can hear someone say, Hey, she got one more. <laughs> say, she got you know, one more. She got one more in her, and that's it. Because I, I think, think you know, a lot of people you... know. Go, I'm sorry, go oh. ahead. I think a lot of people know where to do that. So I don't think she was above 96. You you know, you know what it is? You know what it is now, too? This is just my opinion. Everything's on camera now. And people don't want to be that dude. Hmm. That's why the dude that approached her was trying to be cool about it. Because I feel like any, again, I've been in a lot of different places. And you can't just say that in a major metropolitan area. I've nipped up Detroit, Chicago, Houston, Miami. And I've Boston. seen people get fucked up in person on the train. This is not people just being yeah. their chest. Like, I think people who are not from New York don't really know that the subways is like a jungle sometimes. Like, it, the subways is no mm-hmm. joke. My dad drove trains for all of my life. He gra- he retired, graduated. He, he retired right mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Right before. He's worked for transit in all different capacities. He was a trap worker. He worked in a token booth when you could still, when those people were still helpful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Way back when. Way back when. Like, yeah. y'all remember, do y'all remember wooden turnstiles? Like, remember when we used to have wooden turnstiles? I remember that. Yes, he worked in a toll booth when we had wooden turnstiles. Then he drove nice. the train. Then he was the conductor. Doom, doom. Right? My father mm-hmm. has worked, for, and he has experienced some of the worst shit. Like, you know, when you close the train doors, you as a conductor have to look out a little bit, make sure everything is clear. He's had people spit in his face mm-hmm. as he went by yeah. on purpose. Like hock the loogie That's and spit up. in his face. He had it happen to him so often 
that the last time it happened to him, he made the conductor stop mid-tunnel. Half the train is in the tunnel, half the train is still on the platform. He has a little key where you can open one mm -hmm. thing. He walked back down the platform. The boy, was a, there was a teenage boy who was like, you know, like older, like 18, 19 years old, who had done it. He had his back turned. He didn't realize. He's laughing with his friend. They high-fiving. He spun the boy around and slapped the boy across the face, pushed him up the, the thing. And everybody's like, you can't do that to that little boy. And some, he said, that little boy did this to me. He's got the spit still hanging off his face. Like, this is how real a subway gets in New York mm -hmm. City. Mm -hmm. I have not taken the subway, I think, but three times in the last three years. I do not fuck with the subway. Y'all niggas can have it. I get on it. <laughs> <laughs> it is like that. It is like that. I was like, Whoa. I paid for this? Oh, my God. I become Karen. Is there a manager? I need to speak to him. <laughs> You're too close to me, sir. You're too close. Yeah, I'll be like, oh, my God, social distancing. Like, no, so you see wild stuff on the subways. But my kids have to ride the subways. I have mm -hmm. two, uh, you know, adult-adjacent children mm -hmm. who go around by themselves and hang out. And I, I worry. I worry a lot. I worry mm -hmm. a lot because the trains. And because, and this is going back to that mental illness piece, there are people, like, in New York, if you don't, like, in California, y'all got Skid Row. For us, mm -hmm. the subways are Skid Row. We have right. the same thing. That is where the, pe the unmedicated, the mm -hmm. folks who are not being able to access like humane, comprehensive, like mm -hmm. like racially, like you know what I'm saying? Like th they don't have that. There's not here. And then COVID just gave everybody the excuse to treat people even worse. Absolutely. And so now those people are living in the tunnels and the and and the and, and the train cars and on the platforms. Yes. That was a I was I was uh, remember following that in New York because they didn't do the same thing that we did here in California with the uh, emergency shelters right away. Um, I think it was a bit of a process. Philadelphia, you know, fought really hard to do the same thing as far as using these uh, empty vacant hotels as single room occupancy uh, shelter for the unhoused to keep the uh, contagion at bay. Um, and, and, it, and it proved to be a bit of a solution. I think we saw this could work if you want it to. But the bottom line is there's a lack of humanity. We just have to admit there's a lack of humanity. We live in in a in a world where we glorify uh, winners, no matter how they win. Yes. And these people Absolutely. are the perpetual loser, and they are a reminder that maybe you're a loser, yeah. and put it away so I don't have to see it. Please get it out of my face. Tends to be the way we treat uh, our unhoused. Uh, brothers and sisters and in being unhoused and in working and living in that community for so long <clears throat> you really see um that lack of empathy at, from a society as a whole because it's everywhere there's not one major metropolitan area that i've, I've been to where i haven't seen a large encampment under a freeway when, when my daughter came here to see me in mexico the first thing she says is dad no one lives under the freeway here mm -hmm. i was like yeah because multi-generational living is culturally accepted 
Yeah. You know, whereas we don't accept it in the same way here. You know, you're a failure if you failure to launch, right? He still lives at his mom's house, you know. You're a failure if each of your kids doesn't have their own room. Yeah. You yeah. you're not supposed to share. That's the tension between capitalism and environmentalism as well. Yep. Let's talk about that a little bit. The tension between capitalism and environmentalism. <laughs> the, t- the tension. Mm-hmm. Capitalism is just slaughtering. <laughs> it is. It, it is. is yeah. There is no tension. This is all out fucking just violence. Like mm-hmm. we are. It was seventy-seven degrees in New York last week. Niggas is Yo. like, we are. God. I'm like, yes, we are. We're melting, bitch. Have you not noticed? Exactly. Not it's are almost Thanksgiving. It is so hot. You get to wear that fucking Shein romper. Yes. Like. <laughs> yes. You wear it one time and then you toss it away. Yeah, be, probably because the stitching that came out of it was only three ninety nine. Mad at you. There you go. <laughs> Made by Chinese <laughs> child labor. Like. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it's the little fingers that adds that extra oomph that just feels so good. Details. It's sprayed with some poisonous arsenic filled chemical. Like, oh, you don't even smoke next to it. Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, you know, my days of Shein are over. I can, I like, I literally cannot do this. This company is low key, like, killing people. Like, I actually, mm-hmm. it might be some sort mm-hmm. of like government funded, like, biological warfare, how bad this this uh, clothing is both for the environment and for the actual people who wear it and that's the problem with human beings we think that we dominate the ecological system we've lost since stop thinking that we were a part of it you can't even say that to people now i think for most people it's not even something that would even occur to them i got into environmental justice work and it was an adult that this came to me i was raised in a relatively conscientious home and I was an adult, like probably in her late 20s, who was like, oh shit. The problem is we keep trying to dominate the ecological system for profit. It doesn't matter what we're trying to dominate the ecological system for. We mm-hmm. cannot dominate the e- ecological system. We're it part does of it. does not work. It, yeah. yeah, but we keep trying to make it, we keep trying to make fetch a thing. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's absolutely true. And I get upset on on the left when I see ideas that would work if we could dominate the ecological system. And it's like, can we we just, can we scrap this? Because you could have been using your brain power on much better ideas than this one. Mm -hmm. It's rough. I will tell you one thing. There's something that you said to me years ago that I never forgot. You said, um, if all the birds in your neighborhood disappeared tomorrow, would you notice? Mm. A lot of people really wouldn't. Air-conditioned house to air-conditioned car to air-conditioned office to air-conditioned car to air-conditioned house. I wouldn't know. I, I started it's, taking it's... my kids upstate, mm-hmm. like when the pandemic mm-hmm. happened. Because we had a little bit of, you know, I had, I had, we have a car that's a huge resource. 
for a family of this size. Mm-hmm. And I could afford to take us upstate every weekend. Like we were living in the hood. I could, I wasn't one of those people who could go have a, you know, a country home, you know, lots of people in New York just left for the pandemic. Yeah. Like they just left and they went and lived in a cabin or my family has a, 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 a country home in, I don't know, wherever. There's always a lake. There's always a lake. Exactly. And so we would just get in the car and go to Tarrytown, which is in Westchester, because they had this, they had plum trees in the back and they had a big pool and they had a a good weight room because during the pandemic, I became one of these, like, I'm like a gym mole. I'm not quite a gym rat, but I'm like a gym mole. So as long as I can work out, I'm going right. Like that's what I, that's that is a deal breaker for me. I cannot stay anywhere that does not have a couple weights. And so the, we would go up there for the weekend. And I remember one time, I there's a bridge that takes you from Westchester County to Rockland County. They call it the for us it was the I think it was a, the the Tappan Zee, but now they call it the Mario Cuomo Bridge or whatever. Gross. And you can walk over it now. And so. Hmm. We drove out there, drove over into Rockland County, I don't know, park somewhere. And I just told my kids to get out the car and look up. And all of them went yeah. batshit. Do you know why? Why? Because they could see the stars. Yeah. It, yeah. Never, it occurred to me one day that my kids had never seen a sky full of stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even because, I mean, Westchester is still fairly well lit. It wasn't like we was in the forest somewhere. Right, right. Now, you know, so you got the light coming off the bridge and everything else, but it was more stars than they had ever seen in their life before. Can you imagine? Our ancestors could probably never imagine living a life where there are whole groups of children who have never seen stars. I mean, I, it's it's so interesting that you bring this up as I was, I go for a run. I, so again, I live in Mexico on this crazy hill and villagey looking town and shit. And there was like a horse chilling on the way back to my house. Just chilling. And when my, my daughter came here a few weeks ago with her boyfriend and he was kind of blown away by the environment <clears throat> in which I was living in where it's like, hey, you might see a snake, but you know, don't be scared. It's good because it's going to eat whatever other vermin that you would normally have in your house or don't kill the scorpions because they eat the roaches. Like letting things naturally do what they're supposed to do, you know, is also something that we're, we're kind of don't really do, especially in 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 cities. Yeah. Because you don't well, have snakes that are going to eat the rats. The rats well, out here. Eat, I think people. I see that cry. that rat that killed that pigeon in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead ass. There's always one. There's always she's dead ass. We need to ring a bell. <laughs> we need, we need, that, that, that's the new sound drop. We gotta get like the some National Geographic shit. I was really waiting for some like British white man to narrate it. And here we have the rats. I was like, oh my god, the New York City rat is quite a particular character. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit. And you were rooting for this pigeon. You were like, damn pigeon, come on. The pigeon was put up a fight though. Like the pigeon suddenly realized it had a beak. It was like, nah, fuck this. I'm not going down like this. And the rat really was. Did y'all see the video of the, the the pigeons that led the other pigeon to the end of the train tracks and then pushed it in front of the car of the train as it came into the station? I kid you not. 
New York is a different beast out here, bro. I'm trying to leave. That did not happen before Giuliani. I swear. After Giuliani, these pigeons went crazy. They're so the aggressive. Were the warriors. There was one dressed up like the baseball player. The and they were clinking the Coke bottles together. Yes. That's exactly what happened. Warriors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I saw that shit. I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I saw that shit and I was like, I want to go home. <laughs> like that fucking that sound that went viral on TikTok. I just need to leave. I cannot live here anymore. I, no, seriously. I have to get out of the city. I have to get out of this country, honestly. That, that's, that's my why, goal. That's why Pascal went to Florida. New York was rough, man. I grew up in New York. I left in the early '90s. It was just, it was too much. Yeah, back it just then, a lot for sure. Oh yeah, we're coming back. We're coming back to New York soon, uh, Tanya, and I'm gonna. Why? <laughs> when people tell me stuff like this, I'm like, why? I have friends who like, yeah, I'm trying to move to New York for what? We're gonna First do. We're gonna don't do need a no show. more niggas over here. Don't send no more motherfuckers over here. It's too many niggas. Like no. Why train still packed? Train is still packed. I don't you know why. Jersey. I heard Connecticut is nice. My parents live there. Connecticut has a lot of land. Don't come to New York, please. No, not to live. Not to live. Not I'm to never. Live. I'm. I'm staying in my ass in Mexico. I love it here. I've got quite a few like black online friends that are like repatriating or patriating uh, to to Mexico and they're loving it. There's one other black man that is not Haitian that I have met and I shit you not that nigga opened a barbecue spot. <laughs> he had to. <laughs> that nigga opened a barbecue spot right in the heart of downtown. I wish I was I mean, listen, open. fuck it. I mean, if you go someplace and you know that other, if there's not a lot of niggas there to compare to barbecue to, yo, it's winning. Everybody loves barbecue, so it doesn't matter if you someplace where you really don't know good barbecue. Fuck it. Like, ain't nobody gonna think nothing about a Haitian doing Southern barbecue. Like, he black, right? Oh, that nigga know how to barbecue. That's it. That's all people thinking. <laughs> it's, it's true. I think that's true. He's got no competition. Jeez, I I'm think like, if I want to open a black ass fucking restaurant, I need to go someplace that's mostly white. Like if that was my thing, that's what I would do. I would mm-hmm. that like that that's smart. They don't really know. I travel all over the country doing my whole BDSM lecturing thing. And uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, I go places and I see black people who like we were in fucking Rhode Island and mm-hmm. we were trying to find a park spot. And there was a Jamaican place. And I dipped in there and I looked at the lady like, Wah, go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to you because I don't trust you coming up here making Jamaican food with all these white people. So I know it's probably not that good, but mm-hmm. I, listen, niggas is going to pay $5.25 for a Jamaican patty. We know you can $1.75, $2.50 with cheese. $2.50 with cocoa bread. You gotta go to Golden Crust. Now yes, you can't you do. buy it from the bodega. Now you gotta go to You need Crust. actual Jamaicans to get you some cocoa and bread. Yeah. How is this how is this Jamaican lady selling jerk? And I don't see no garbage can 
um, no garbage can that's been turned into a barbecue in front of the place. Yo, they do that in front of my building. You gotta have the barrel, the barrel, the barrel, the drum. to, to do jerk. I'm not trusting nobody not doing no jerk out of that. Now, when I go to Atlanta, you can go into a parking lot and there's a real live Jamaican. <laughs> yes. In the parking lot. And it don't even be like mm-hmm. me. It don't even be like a parking lot outside of the restaurant. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just a parking lot. <laughs> like, this is just a parking lot. And this nigga brought all his shit down here. And nobody ever fucks with his grill. It's not like he takes that shit home. He just puts it over in the corner of the parking lot. Everybody that goes to that parking lot knows. Do not fuck with that's Tyrone's his grill. grill. That's his grill. Don't do that. So, especially when you're coming back on Saturday to get jerked. <laughs> True. True. Oh, oh my God, guys. Bitch, this shit I is already you. hot. Why would I want pepper? <laughs> For real. <laughs> For real. We're already dying here. Smoke coming out my ears. Why would I want pepper? Oh my god! I told you, Pascal, this is going to be the most New York, New York show ever. Yo, Tanya, you ever consider you have a career in stand-up waiting for you to check out? (laughs) (laughs) I only work best when I have people to banter. Stand-up. People have told me that a lot, and I'm like, actually, y'all, stand-up is its own art. And I don't mm-hmm. think enough people realize that you could be funny and suck at stand-up. Yep. Yep. Go watch people bomb. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm-hmm. You know who I watch bomb? What's the black chick that's they got it in all the movies? She's got a big ass. Tiffany Haddish? Yep. Tiffany Haddish. Yes. I watch Tiffany Haddish bomb. It's hard. She did a show in Miami. She did yeah. bomb. She bombed real bad first time she came down here. Well, I mean. Yeah, then that's like a pattern. That's a habit. <laughs> right? <laughs> we have a pattern. <laughs> I'm trying not to be shady because I'm all for all black women getting their bag. Like, for me, you don't even have to do nothing. If you're a black woman, you deserve a bag. It's, I mean, like, reparations, y'all, right? But, like, <laughs> so I'm not, I am not mad at her bag at all. I'm not. But I've just never been a believer. I just haven't. You haven't? Me neither. For her to make terrible jokes about child molestation for y'all niggas to realize she's not ever been funny. Damn. No, that's what Cat Williams said. He was like, look, every comedian has a joke that you remember from them. What is a Tiffany Haddish joke? I've been searching. I know my brother. (laughs) I've been searching. Cat Williams. No, she's got lines. That's the thing, right? She read... We wore that out until Karen in accounting said it. And then you were like, all right, black people we had a conference call. We're retiring. She's ready, y'all. Just mm-hmm. like, with, oh, there it is. And who let the dogs out? Okay? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> we don't say Jiggy and we don't say YOLO either. Just as a recap. Is everybody clear? Okay. Look, I, had a, I have a friend. She's in Hollywood. I haven't talked to her in years. And she's done very well for herself. And when she first got there, I think I've said this before. I don't know if I said this in the main show. I was asking her because she had done like a, a video for the band Corn, And I was like, oh, that's, you know, it's dope. And then she did a bunch of other movies and shit. And um, I was like, how is it in Hollywood? She goes, it's nigga time. Mm. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, it's, it's, she goes, they, and she was she's from New York, real tall, real pretty. You've seen her and stuff before. I'll, I'll tell you who she is in the, in the chat. 
And she was like, it's just nigga time out here, man. They, they, you know, Regina King is hot. This is like the uh, late aughts. And she was like, they just want to have that black, ooh, girl, best friend. Mm-hmm. So when you girl. see her on movies, that's not how mm-hmm. she talks at all. She is a uh, well-to-do uh, black chick. It's not, Aisha Tyler. Not it's not Aisha Tyler. It's not Aisha Tyler. This girl's a lot younger than Aisha Tyler, but uh, woman. But yeah, she was like, that's what they want. And she played one of those characters in a in a pretty famous movie. So yeah, the Tiffany Haddish, I think there was some authenticity to her playing that nigga time role. Mm. But also some people are nigga time. Like this is what y'all getting from me. It's who I am. Yeah. I'm the kind of person that says pussy and etymology in the same fucking. We also got to give people multiplicity. Like, I'm a That's bitch true. who has six kids, four baby daddies, long ass fucking UV nails, a grill in her mouth. I do not code switch. I will talk to you about some academic shit and use double negatives and ain't and all of that shit that y'all think is stereotypical. And I will still be able to debate and outthink you under the table. I still managed in all of this to build an organization and in the last couple of years raise millions of dollars for that organization, give black women thousands of dollars feed hundreds of families like we gotta allow people multiplicity right like Mm -hmm. sometimes niggas really are nigga time and they're still Mm -hmm. fucking academics like motherfuckers are nigga time and they still fucking lead punk bands like motherfuckers are nigga time and they still out here being fucking skateboard kids like there is fucking multiplicity to us and i think what happens like the thing that i'm nervous about because now i am bringing this authenticity and also persona because i'm not like this 24 7 there is a level of performance to this i'm talking to y'all i got an audience there's a performance mm-hmm. and anybody who says anything else is being disingenuous right you come meet me when i get off this motherfucker and finish smoking the rest of this split and tell my kids to go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich and sit on the tv and don't want to talk to nobody and you start to, like <laughs> my girlfriend will call me up and be like so listen i was reading this joy james article and i I would be like Rebecca, not the fuck right now, bro. <laughs> shout out to Joy James. You should check shout out, out to Joy James. James. Yeah, I'm like, do you fucking wanna like you want to talk about housewives or some shit? Like, bitch, let me tell you about this nigga that hit me up in my WhatsApp the other day. I ain't talked to this nigga in five years. I do not want to talk about how black people are always slaves. I just don't, girl. Like, mm-hmm. damn. <laughs> like turn that shit off sometimes because my brain cannot operate on that frequency all the time and consistently constantly be in that mode it makes me an angry person it makes me a deep despondent mm-hmm. person like it and makes me a person who does not who becomes so who starts to get so meta and get so c- cynical like then why are we even doing any of this like that I'm mm-hmm. just, I start to feel like I should just give up. Like we have to allow mm-hmm. folks multiplicity. And I got some friends who really are on that respectability shit, like really are, like they believe it authentic- authentically. I do not argue with them. I'm not trying to change their mind. That's just who they are. I understand that we are not a monolith. And these bitches be into some shit, like behind <laughs> the schools, I be like, <laughs> but it, it's 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 funny, right? It's funny, right? Because we all talk. We have a group show chat. 
and we talk about show stuff when we're booking and trying to figure out who we're going to get on. And then it just devolves into the most fun conversation ever. And a lot of times those conversations for me can feel like a great big hug. Like I love those conversations, Mm -hmm. but we, Mm -hmm. we could never put those on. (laughs) (laughs) We could never never put those on air. We always on thin ice. (laughs) We are all, we live on thin ice. Like we set up camp, set up shop, on thin ice. I think part of the problem with social media is that we actually do. This is where I start feeling like, okay, I'm. This is where I start feeling like, oh shit, Tanya, you're starting to get old. I mean that and fucking gray pubic hair. But I'm just like, you know, like I am. <laughs> I'm like, are we? It's a thing. Hey, 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 it is it's a thing. thing. Like, all right, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, this, this is probably a thing. Um, and so. I'm just like, I am one of those people that believes part of the problem with, um, with, uh, my ring light is right outside the kitchen. My fucking partner's in there just eating his little heart out, just knocking my shit out. What's going on though, in case you were wondering what that was. Um, (laughs) the revolutionary show, I don't want nobody getting nervous, like, oh, she, ah, look. Everything, I believe that we need to have there are conversations I feel sometimes actually shouldn't be happening mm-hmm. in, in in some of these public places. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. I think cancel culture really was a, re- and I don't think it exists anymore, quite honestly. I don't ever really know if it was a thing, at least not for like able-bodied men, but cancel culture really, I think was a response to the fact that people really were getting out here saying anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And not thinking about what the consequences of that might be. I think one of the reasons I'm not willing to talk about Kanye and Kyrie with a lot of people is because the conversation I am not really willing to have in public spaces because I think there are some real nuanced things that we need to to, to mm-hmm. talk about that there are other people who just don't have the understanding. They don't have the lived experience. They don't have the understanding. And when they hear it, when you're parsing out, whether it's offensive or not, it needs to be parsed out. And them having an audience to that gives them an opportunity to be offended. And now the thing that we were trying to parse out can't even be parsed out because we got to deal with this group of folks over here being offended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said, you I said, in, you know, I mean, like, Tucson, wasn't that what I was talking to you about last night? Basically there's levels to it. There's, there's, <laughs> I was, I was, there's a lot. There's so I many levels like that we can't even name them. This black Hebrew Jewish, you know, original man, t- there, there is a, there, there is some, that is some shit I'll be trying to stay away from. I don't even want those motherfuckers around me. Like, but I also understand <laughs> that there is some legitimate reasons, context, experiences for why that shit even popped up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know that yes. we can criticize white people in mass, right? White hegemonic, not, no religious affiliation. We can critique them in mass and nobody ever says anything. You know, I mean, you get these fringes of like, oh, reverse racism and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, like, we kind of get as a society why whiteness itself should be critiqued. But if I started to talk to you about who runs the predatory housing market in New York City, what those folks look like, what their ethnic and religious affiliations were and why that might and the way that they have treated the people who are the recipients of those vouchers that they use to make themselves very very rich 
and what those people look like. I don't know if y'all still following me here. Then, I, I am. then you, then we would be like, oh, I get why some of these folks who also don't have access to like formal education and mm -hmm. maybe don't have varied networks of people who come from all walks of life, why these folks might then be engaging in anti-Semitism. I'm actually just saying plainly, fuck it. Here in New York City, <laughs> we, we run, get it. We run, run a market around Section 8, City FAPs, FAPs, all of these housing vouchers. They then become some of the worst landlords in the city. On top of that, many of them, because I believe of the way that their sect of Judaism is set up, come into these neighborhoods to take advantage of younger black women who might be looking for some additional financial support. When you exist in this way, in a world that also is very anti-black and has made, because of its need to reckon with the Holocaust, right? Please let's understand that um, Hasidic, and Orthodox Judaism, specifically Hasidic, Hasidic Judaism, really is a response to the Holocaust. Just write it down and Google it. We ain't got the time for me to explain it all to you. But it is, mm -hmm. right? There are other Jews who be looking at Hasidic Jews and be like, y'all are, are y'all okay? Is everything all right over there? Like, but we cannot get out of the fact that for many people in New York City, that's what they think Judaism is in totality. That mm -hmm. is the only example of Judaism that they've ever seen is Hasidic mm -hmm. Judaism because it is very, very visible. They wear a specific type of clothing. They have a specific hairstyle. They live in specific communities and they have a very large conservative voting block in this country. I mean, in this city. And so you use for people, at least in New York City or in that sort of tri-state area, when you have these types of experiences where you only see this type of Judaism and you experience it to be extractive and oppressive, the response then becomes this weird ass shit that you start hearing black people talk about in response to it. When you intersect that with actual factual widespread anti-Semitism, it just gets folded into that and we never mm -hmm. actually parse out like that there is a pattern of behavior of one group of ethnic people oppressing another group of ethnic people. Did you want and to say something? He's even trying to have that conversation. I've had, cause trust me, I, I tried to when I was younger and I would just get shouted down that I was being anti-Semitic and that I was an anti-Semite. So now I'm gonna be honest with you. It's made it so I don't even broach the topic anymore. Did you That's want to explain on that? Well, there's a historical way in which in ethnic pluralistic societies, ethnic groups disadvantage other ethnic groups. In the music industry in the early 20th century, if black people wanted to get involved in music, you had to deal with organized crime. Organized crime was disproportionately controlled by Italian Americans. In New York City, certain businesses and business districts are controlled by large numbers of Jewish people. But for me, I, the way I look at these things is that capitalism does not stop oppression regardless of the color of the person who was engaging in the oppression. And that I, I, I fundamentally believe that people will organize and structure their oppression by you, you, uniting against and around 
whatever facilitates the ability to make the oppression more effective. If that means mm-hmm. your religious identity, so be it. If that means your ethics identity, so mm-hmm. be it. So to me, this doesn't make a Jewish person any more oppressive because they're Jewish. It just makes them more susceptible, just as successful of using capitalism to do what capitalism makes you do, which is exploit. Yeah, because it looks very different in California. There's actually a uh, there was a great expose written that nobody wanted to cover about the Latin man that controls uh, all of not all, but the majority of the uh, low income housing uh, section eight housing uh, in Southern California. Um, and, and, and we have to be honest, there is a lot of um, washing of, of bad deeds when quote unquote minorities are doing the damage, right? No doubt. It becomes it's a bit, the narrative becomes difficult with XYZ person. No, no one talks about Barry Gordy being an exploiter. Barry no. Gordy was a massive exploiter. But no one's it's ever gonna say that uplift the race narrative. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. That you know, I was gonna, you know, it popped in my head as y'all were kind of discussing this. The reality though is that through all of this, when you talk about these plural ethnic, is that the word you use? Because you just ethnic plural. Yes, ethnic ethnic plural. I love language. That that was sexy. I'm about to use that now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get him gas <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about that though, the Thread in all of these is that everybody though gets to do it to black people, including other black people. Well, you're, like, you're absolutely people, right. I think anti-blackness is the fulcrum. It is the linchpin. That's why when that people are like, "Why is the black feminist uh, uh, feminism program? Why can't be the black? Why I gotta be black? Why this can't be the feminism project?" Bitch, if you don't get out my face, first of all, don't question me. Second of all, because anti-blackness is the linchpin. It is literally what everything else in the spectrum gradient, whatever you want to call it, is rooted in. If you want to get rid of any of those other systems of oppression, it is anti-blackness that we must dismantle. This is not just American. This is global. But the thing is, though, let me ask you a question, Tony. When have black people in their lowest periods of exploitation not had their anti-black racism connected to capitalism? Never. That's and my my position is that as long as you have capitalism, which demands anti-blackness, absolutely, it needs it, it eats it like Pac-Man and them little things. You know what I mean? Because, like, as Richard Wolf says, capitalism turns black people into the shock absorbers but of the I, and i and i you know and i didn't really like that statement because and teray called that out you all you always forget how teray called that out and kind of crushed it he's like well what about those four thousand white people that got laid off in ohio what do they but that doesn't negate the fact that white people are also going to get crushed by the system i mean well. again niggas don't live everywhere so no, where is the anti-blackness in Idaho. Where's the anti-blackness in the Appalachian Mountains? Where's because the white people the will gladly section? eat themselves in order to maintain this myth that at the end of the day, I still ain't a nigga. 
I don't Black believe that. White people have to be complicit in it. And we watch it in real time. And if you don't think it is even just the ideology of anti-Blackness, as it relates specifically to white supremacy, that will have folks literally voting, acting, complicit in their own interest. Like, that's what it is. Had it is I not... Ideology of anti-Blackness. Had I not lived and, and worked in environments with illiterate, extremely poor white people, with other white people that hated those white people way more than you would ever think they hated me. Had I not been in environments where people hated Native Americans way more than they ever hated black people, then maybe I'd be on board. But because I lived and worked in so many different environments that really changed my perspective um, on that. And I'm surprised Pascal is so quiet because it's a very Afro-pessimistic no, point of view. I'm not a fan of the anti-blackness framework because to me, anti-blackness or what people call racism, and I still call it racism, is a function of capitalism. And for me, I, I, I frame it within that regard because there is nowhere where the oppression of black people is not tied to their material condition, as which is the case with all people. And the, the main reason why there is such a prevalence of it regarded to race is because black people were always re reserved for the worst oppression to be the reserve army of labor. In other words, you cannot have a system in which capitalism provide, provides an economic stability for everyone. And to keep the system, for, listen, a perfect example. In France, the nigga is not black. The nigga is the Arab. The nigga is the Arab. Mm -hmm. Capitalism needs a nigger, but he doesn't always have to be black. But ideally, it came from blackness, though. Listen, we talk about slavery, and we know that the transatlantic slave trade, as done by Western Europeans, and particularly in the antebellum South, was some horrific shit. And what happens is, then it gets negated, though, however, that the system and economics of slavery were global, right? This is where you get people who conflate that. But Africans sold other Africans. Yes, Africans sold other Africans and all other kinds of people sold other kinds of people who look like them because slavery, that was how it worked, right? And we have a deeper conversation around the what it means for us as a species to create these kind of stratifications and hierarchies where it is dependent upon oppressing another group of people. However, the Portuguese quite intentionally spearheaded the racializing of the global economy of slavery, like literally wrote a book about it and then went on a marketing campaign. What we would, this is like when Samsung was trying to roll out this phone and they wanted to buy into it. You want me to buy into the fact that I really want to fold my motherfucking phone in half and put it in my pocket. Right? Because in the beginning, folks were like, this is a little bit ridiculous. But they went on a marketing campaign. They're going to put this folded slavery in your pocket, right? And this slavery looks particularly African. It looks black. We cannot deny that there was an that there was intention, right? And I, Pascal, I will kind of say for me, it's I'm I understand what you're saying. I'm not in some ways, I'm not disagreeing with it, right? Because we also know the Part of that was very much led by the fact that once Europeans were able to get into the interior of Africa and see just how many niggas there were, 
it was like, oh, wait a second. This then becomes a, a labor source. Like we can just pick from these people whose land also has tremendous resources. I get that. But that's still, for me, then I think the question then becomes- but what I'm saying, Tanya, is that that decision is based on a material analysis. Yeah. In other words, you know, one of the things that we use here on our show is called dialectical. I mean, you smart. You know what dialectical materialism is. Dialectical materialism is when you basically understand that there are economic motives that explain phenomenon throughout history, time, and space. And it's not just some kind of metaphysical reality of like the white man hates the black man. There, there was an economic motivating factor that drove these interpersonal relationships that became a metastasizing of oppression over time. And what I'm saying is that the part of the problem I have with simply using terms like anti-blackness or the framing of Afro-pessimism is that it separates or mitigates the, the economic driving motivational force and it turns it into some kind of ontological or earth science-like conflict between the black and the white. And part well, of the why problem, does it have to be either or? Why is it not a why is it not a both? I, I'm not it should be why can't or. we say that we also understand that anti-blackness very much is driven by an economic an, an economic thing? But what I'm saying is that that's exactly my point though, then. Like one does not exist without the other. It doesn't. They like just they just they they doing what they do. I, I don't like think you, the world is anti-black because you know we don't have special black prisons, but you know what we have in this country that no one talks about. We have special prisons for brown people. They're all over the place and they're private and no one talks about them. Their numbers, we don't even know the full numbers because they don't have their civil detention. But the framework of anti-blackness doesn't say that it's only ever black people that get targeted. Why do we call what it anti-blackness? Is that it, is the, it is the impact, the death, mm -hmm. the actual formalizing of anti-blackness that facilitates those brown prisons. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, very much grounded in that. Even the settling of this land, raising raising Native Americans, right? Oh, about black people. This is why this is why I get upset when people call the transatlantic slave trade the Black Holocaust. I'm like, y'all got to learn the definition of things. Holocaust is to intentionally want to wipe out and exterminate a group of people. Europeans were not spending what would tantamount to be millions of dollars to transport black people to wipe them out. That is not what they were doing. It's not a black Holocaust. Oh, but they absolutely engage in the intentional genocide of native people so that they could bring back black people in there to work that. Right, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. At a certain point, there was a decision that was made that native native people were not profitable to the, mm -hmm. to be used as slave labor because basically they were dying they would die if they would escape they were escape. getting killed because they were getting they were dying that's like yeah nigga, you gave me the it was smallpox with the actual intention of fucking killing me like yeah. <laughs> let me right. ask you a question if black people were not profitable or in other words did not have the life expectancy to generate profit, would the European continue to bring them over as slaves? Yes, it also was a very expensive wow. business. Why? There were, my thing is, <laughs> there were, there were, 
there were, I think one of the things that we don't think about when we think about transatlantic slave trade, you think a bunch of niggas got on a boat and all the motherfuckers that got on that boat came over here and were here. That is not true. It was a very risky and expensive business, slavery. Because it was possible. And it was one that people didn't want to get into. I think sometimes we think natural, about- natural, natural gas extraction is equally as expensive and it's extremely dangerous. So- the danger, the profit always outweighs the danger motive. I have worked in that industry of natural gas extraction. People have died where I have been. It's a common occurrence. No one cares because you are disposable, right? So if there isn't a profit to be made, if you are dying off and escaping like the natives were, because native enslavement didn't last five minutes, it lasted hundreds of years. We don't really talk about it that much in this country because there's not too many people that want to talk about it, right? It fucks up a narrative. So there is profit to be made in these black bodies that can survive. First of all, you're getting them in mass. They don't know the terrain. There's roads that we still take today that were, you know, these natives gave us. So the idea that taking these strangers and, and bringing them to a country where they can't navigate their way out of it, it makes sense profitability-wise. Had I not seen – look, I worked in the Gulf of Mexico, and I saw real deal slavery, Tanya. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be. be I'm, I'm as just trying to. I'm not denying any of the things that you are saying. But, I'm in agreement with you. But okay, what I'm also say, saying is say that black people are the literally the largest group of people on the earth. And so, if you are going to extract labor from somewhere, like you said, that can just keep going. Okay. Well, it would make sense from an economic perspective to mine from this group of people. Yeah. But listen, here, 2022, we don't mine from that group of people like we did hundreds sure of years ago. Sure we do. There's a whole carceral system that does. Sure we do. We have when a you, whole birth to prison pipeline that exists. My thing is it doesn't have to be one modality. Mm-hmm. We can use one system of oppression or one modality of oppression for brown people. We can use another system or modality of oppression for black people. All of these things that are set up in some sort of historical framework. You know, it's like my mother would say when she would do one thing for one sibling and not do it for the other. And she would say, what's, you know, everybody ain't got to get the same thing, but you're all going to get treated pretty equally. Like you're all going to be treated well. That well may not be look good. If you inverse that to what I'm talking about, I am not saying that we are not literally engaging in slavery with brown immigrants in this country. I know that. What I'm also saying is that if you don't see a prison to pipeline in a country that does not account for most of the world's population, but has most of the world's prisoners, Mm -hmm. and the overwhelming amount of those prisoners are black, and they are engaging in documented slavery that benefits these large-ass corporations, it doesn't have to be the same modality, but it's getting to the same thing. And what I'm saying is that that thing sprang out of the need to make anti-blackness a thing for the continued economic benefit of a certain group of people. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. 
but the the whole framework of anti-blackness again when these people are getting workers from the philippines and i believe the philippines gdp is literally based on their export of labor so that's what that country does they send labor throughout the western world when we think about all the cheap stuff we get made that we have in our homes as i'm talking to you on this camera that probably was made by Chinese little fingers. We were joking about it. That's China. That's not Africa. We don't talk about our stuff that's made in Africa. We don't even joke about it. And I guess my point is when we have this framework. That is, of, that is, that is Asia. But some of those materials that they needed to get to use the little Asian fingers to put it together, where it came from? Well, I'm sure some where of it came, came from. from and what little fingers picked that cobalt out for you? What them little fingers look like? What color I mean, chocolate, they? right? We can talk about chocolate yeah, all day long. They would, right? they would be yeah. black. So that's what I'm saying. It goes right back to my point that the modalities might be different, but it still comes back to this thing of anti-blackness being the fulcrum from which we export resources. We see black people and black land, it's specifically African land, as one of the biggest export. And when we talk about China, let's also talk about the fact that China is now going into African land to exploit African people and take over African land. Going back to that ethno-pluralism and all of that she was talking about, how one group of ethnic people will then engage in groups. Like, again, Meek Mills, levels <laughs> to the shit. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, again, I'm not, I'm not, to me, I feel like what we have in is sort of a semantical argument because I'm not disagreeing with y'all. I'm not, not by any means. Did you, did you want to say something, Pascal? No, not, not at all. I mean, my, I, I'm enjoying the conversation. It's really interesting. I mean, this is the most civilized conversation I've had with about anti-blackness in a while. Usually, that because, ass? really? No, because usually that I'm not ass. a fan of I'm not a fan of Afro <laughs> of Afro pessimism. Usually, people tie that 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 terminology to Afro pessimism, and mm -hmm. uh, I, we it, it's usually a point of contention, but. I think that the, the only problem, the, the only difference that we have is that I think in your analysis, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you see that anti-blackness is a fulcrum of the modalities that bring forth exploitation. I see anti-blackness as a large part of the multiple fulcrums that are used to exploit and exploit resources. And my, my focus is on the system that demands that exploitation. Since I know it's an economic system, for me, my position is to challenge the economic system and all of the tentacles around it and how they create harm. So I challenge capitalism and all the tentacles around it. I also realize that because, and part of the reason why I do this show, I realize that there is a specific way in which race is used in capitalism to undermine the capacity of black people to maintain economic material security. And that you, you, you would call that anti-black. Somebody in the comments says she's a New Yorker. She's not even yelling. I'm just so glad you see me. I'm really <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun. I'm having fun with the conversation. And I would I would have you back on the show whenever whenever you are free to come back on the show. i I'm I'm I think that this is similar to the conversation we had with Joy James that she actually put in her book. Um, because I pushed back on something she had said about feminism because I think she left out um, kind of the roots of um, kind of an anti-woman, the, the anti-female roots of aid programs before federal aid. 
divorced women can't get it. You know, single mothers with no father around couldn't get aid for, you know, we didn't have what, this is before welfare. We're talking like the twenties and thirties and, and things like that. And it's not simply uh, just you niggas can't get it. And I think because I come from, or I've been in environments where it wasn't just you niggas that really kind of fucked up my perception. I mean, I'm from a place where I remember when white people didn't eat grits before they were in vogue. And part of my job was to feed them grits. I was like, white people don't eat grits. Because I'm not from the South, the right? about anti-blackness from an ideological perspective, right? And again, what I will say, allude to seeing Wakanda last night. This is explored a little bit. <laughs> explored a little bit. It is. And it, it jumped out at me and I'm waiting. I'm trying to wait two weeks so that most niggas have seen it so I can really parse it out with people, right? And also uh-huh. as a black person, a non-Spanish speaking black person living in the Bronx, the South Bronx, which is a very, very Latino heavy um, in policy and in, in look, even if in population black people are there, we're by and large ignored. Um, like, th- what I'm saying is, I, again, the thing about anti-blackness particularly, right, which is what I say even ideologically allows other people to be complicit is brown people who might be experiencing some of the worst fucking oppression, right, and black people, and those people going through something that's very similar, and those brown people will still feel empowered to be like, but this nigga, right, like it is ideologically cannot you, it's not a feeling. I'm talking about someone who has experienced it. And I'm talking about even, and I'm going to speak specifically my experience in uh, Latin. I don't know what the folks want to be called. Latin, 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 X, Hispanic. But y'all know what I'm trying to say. Brown people. I'm going to say that. Brown Spanish-speaking people. I feel like that's the safest way to go here. So brown Spanish-speaking people in this community, mm-hmm. even when it comes to Spanish-speaking black people, brown and white uh, Latin folks will be like, right? Like it is from an There's colorism, of course. That's not just colorism. That is about anti-blackness, even in culture. The Yadifuna community in Latin America has by and large been marginalized. Black Colombians have by and large been uh, marginalized by the very, by the very, culture of what it means to continue to associate with a type of blackness that is part of the African diaspora. But we do realize also in Latin and South America, they marginalize native indigenous people. Way more. Badly. Way more. And I visited one of those places. I understand that. But again... (laughs) I I live off the road. indigenous people... When I went and visited these people, by and large, many of them were, uh-huh. first of all, just so struck. Like, if there was a place where I've ever gone, I went to Bolivia, right, when Evo Morales was the president, mm. and he had a conference where he invited all of the indigenous and black people all over the world to Bolivia. When I tell y'all this is the most one of the most transformative experiences I ever had in my life, and I saw indigenous people who did not speak Spanish or spoken very, very poorly, they still had held on to their, like Arawak is what it was called. They mm-hmm. still spoke Arawak, which was a traditional indigenous language. Mm-hmm. And these people were living in the mountains. And if they lived down in uh, the valley, they were living in some of the worst 
uh, communities have some of the worst health outcomes. And when I tell you that these people thought I was a literal queen of Africa, that they would come, I would ask the ladies to please get up because they would drop to their feet. No, I'm serious. And I went with my six month old daughter, this little big headed, big duck lips, beautiful black child. And I went and the indigenous women taught me how to tie her around my back because I came with a stroller. And they were like, dumb American. That is not going to work here. And so they took me to the market and gave me the thick fabric and helped me tie her like a book bag around my, my back. And it was the one, I think the only time in my life where I experienced something that had to be the other side of anti-blackness. <laughs> like, like they would crowd me in the street. They would kiss my hair and kiss my fingers. They saw blackness as an Now, what did that, how did that make you feel? Like, honestly, I was if overwhelmed. Per, if, if it's too personal, don't answer. How did no, that make was, you feel? I was very overwhelmed. I was also very afraid for my child because they would snatch her up and they would hold her like on some eyes. Like, like they would do that. And then they would pass her around and they would kiss her, kiss her feet, kiss her hands. I'm imagining they was because they kept some of them kept saying the same thing over and over again. And I felt like it had to be like the Arawak version of like, God bless you or God bless mm-hmm. her. And they would say it and kiss her feet. And then I had a translator with me because I would go to places and they would literally crowd me like it would get scary. Like it would be like 50 of them around me wanting to touch me like I was I don't know, like the ratchet Mary Magdalene or some shit. And so mm-hmm. uh, this translator said they want to know. They said, um, you're a queen. You're a queen. They want to know what what village in Africa you're a queen from. I said, tell them Del Bronx. around the university they started calling me reina del bronx right the queen of the bronx i have to tell you that has stuck with me is that my daughter now is she's six months then she's 13 now 13 years ago and i yeah i was like i think though to me what struck me was not only for as, as a fat black woman, my self-esteem fucking needed that living in this country. I needed that, right? But also there was a part of me that on the flip side I had experienced while there from those same people, right? Overwhelmingly, this is what it was. But there was still a significant number of these people who were just, you know, having some of the probably the most worst economic experiences in this place. I'm being by and large looked at as queen of the Bronx, and the translator would still say that they were saying things about me that were not kind, rooted in my blackness. Or when I would go out and the other brown men would make fun of me for being so big, right? They would call me Mama Sota, but not in an endearing way, like when we say Mama Sita. So for people mm-hmm. who don't speak Spanish, if you add Ita at the end, it's like little, like mm-hmm. little mama, and it's usually said endearing. And Mama Sota can be endearing, like you say, like big mama, like my auntie, right? Mm-hmm. But they were saying it also like kind of the way Dominicans and Puerto Ricans here in New York say morena. Like like with Spanish is one of those languages where it's all, it's about intonation, right? So however it's said, it's gonna give you the context of whether someone's being endearing or not. But I've also had Latin friends who have pushed back on the fact that even being recognized by your skin color, whether it's endearing or not, is also rooted in the ideology of not just colorism, but anti-blackness. Well, here, uh, here. Can I tell you, can I tell you a real story? Okay. Can I tell you a, a, a real story? I live in Mexico. You can't see mm-hmm. how I'm fully dressed. I, I'm a very normal, boring, dressing-ass 45-year-old man, right? Jeans and a fucking T-shirt everywhere I go. 
And when I go places here in Baja, I get treated with the utmost respect. And when I go across an imaginary line, an imaginary line, it's very different. Now, I went to Denny's. We don't have that here. Uh, we don't even really have an equivalent to that here. You're not about to tell me a racist Denny story, are you? Come on. I'm going to tell you a racist Denny story. Hey. Oh, hold on. Hey. Hold on. Hear me out. Now, again, everybody I deal with is Mexican, right? Motherfuckers don't speak English. I grew up in California. Of course, I'm used to seeing Mexican-ass Mexican people. I say, what's up? And then most of like, gay? And I'm like, okay, I'm in Mexico now, right? So I got to learn the language. I'm trying to learn the language. I go, I sit in three hours of traffic to go across the imaginary line. Because mm-hmm. I got some, I gotta, my mail is in, is in San Isidro, California. And I'm waiting for the post office to open. I'm going to sit in Denny's. I'm going to get some writing done. I walk in the door. Everybody working there is brown. I've just been in brown country for months. Across the imaginary line, the first people I see is Mexican. So first thing I do is go into my Spanish. Buenos dias. You know, oh, you want to sit? Yeah, yeah, I speak. Okay, so I say, hey, donde está el baño? I've been holding in this pee for three hours. As I walk to the bathroom, the manager is like, hey, you. I'm like, me? You know, like you said, you pulled your Karen. I pulled my Karen, me? He's like, you can't use the bathroom. I was like, yeah, I can. He's like, you can't use the bathroom here. This is for customers. I was like, I have a seat. And uh, then the waiter is like very embarrassed. Now he's like, no, he, he was... He has a seat. He's sitting down to eat. He's just using the bathroom. He wasn't very apologetic. There was such a contrast from my perception across an imaginary line. The same outfit, the same guy living in their country gets treated so differently. If you come here to visit me, Tanya, which I hope you do, bring all 65 and in black ass children. Child, I'll be escaping if I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I will send you a postcard. <laughs> they, they, they will be so, so can't wait. Oh, hello! It'll be, it'll be maybe not the queen stuff, but people will be so polite. And it was crossing that imaginary line and the perception that all of a sudden I was a homeless person that was going to go shoot up in the bathroom. And I was like, I'm wearing my nice. <laughs> Nice hoodie, nice jogger. My, it's my nice hoodie. These are my my fucking fancy Kanye West jogging pants. They skinny well, jogging the, pants. One of the things that I wanted to say in terms of you were talking about the hierarchies of oppression in terms of people of color who are not black oppressing black people, but that's directly correlated to the fact that black this is particular this is the modality of black oppression is about re- reducing black people to property and using them and extracting their humanity from them. So even within the space that they may coexist with say natives or other people of color, the system of the economic system that places them in that space is rooted in the lack of humanity. That's gonna have a resonant consequence over time. That doesn't disappear when you end slavery. That doesn't disappear when you end Jim Crow. That That resonates in time. 
but it's still connected to the fact that where black people are placed is directly correlated to the economic space and time in history and how they get to these places. Frederick Douglass said something very fun, very interesting when I hear people talk about race and white people. And he said something fascinating. He said, every time a white man sees one of us, he has dollar signs in his eyes. Mm. And when I hear these conversations about anti-blackness and racism and color, to me, it delegitimizes the understanding that there's a the, the correlation in the context between the fact that these people want to extract resources from humanity. Mm -hmm. And it was it was more profitable to extract them from black people is what drives the system in the first place. And to, ch to challenge their capacity to function in the system, we got to challenge the system that allows them to extract those resources. That was a very serious statement. And yes, that was what I laughed at. John, you follow what I'm saying? I mean, you may just, I mean, I, you know what? I'm not even going to lie to you. I didn't because one of my little raggedy ass kids opened up the <laughs> and it connected to this desktop. And as you were really getting into it, and I'm like, oh my God, like this is. I'm sorry, Pascal. Please say it again. I, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> this is what it's like. Like I need a reality TV show to really for people to really like try to be this type of person, this type of woman, and have this many children. <laughs> That's too funny. I'm I so saw the little. It was a little. Was oh, it the little boy? I heard you say it delegitimizes, and then a little thing across my thing said. AirPods connected, and I was like, "AirPods <laughs> <laughs> connected." <laughs> These kids are anti-black. That's what. <laughs> that is right Whole gang. She ground him for being part of the patriarchy. <laughs> this is your patriarchal grounding. Tanya, we're gonna have you back on the show because you are you 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 the livest wire we probably had on the show all year. Finkelstein, you. you should have Tanya and Finkelstein on the same show. And now I'm gonna have to take like five hours to like reboot. I'm like an introverted extra. I'm like an extroverted introvert, right? Like I do all of this is great, and then what happens? People meet me in person, and they think this is what they're gonna get. And usually I'm mostly dissociative. So <laughs> I think they be feeling like they got personality catfished. Well, you know? are you going to, damn, are you going to come out when we go to New York? I will. Absolutely. 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 I'm usually trapped in here. So, you know, I'm always looking for reasons and excuses, leg legitimate things to tell these kids I have to leave. Like, no, no. <laughs> take a call, have a meeting. The meeting be like me trying meeting a friend to go to the movies. Technically, it is a meeting. We met. I thought it'd be on my Instagram stories. Like, I thought you said you had a meeting. You're watching The Woman King. And I'll be like, <laughs> I'm so mad at you. No, like, literally, my kids will, they will send me text messages. When are you coming home? I'm like, I'll be like, y'all, my warden is tapped in. I got to go. Well, so. we'll we'll have to we'll have to play that that comment back uh, what Pascal said, but yeah, there's a lot to be said about dollar signs in people's eyes when they see us, and the way and the way that dollar sign changes is uh, especially when you go in foreign lands. That's what fucked me up the first time I went to Europe. I was just an American. Like, oh, you're an American. 
and people would no, do I haven't had that experience in Europe. You're you're lying. You're capping, and or no. you have like you you have a large margin to like <laughs> disregard some shit because I've been in Europe too. and there was never any place where I was treated like oh she's just American. Absolutely not. Not my big black ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think it. I got treated better. I got treated better than Arabs and Africans in some places when I when they heard you talk and they heard you talk. Yeah. Yeah. Then it was like, oh, okay, you might be a nigga with something. (laughs) (laughs) Let me not fuck this up because you over here to spend some money. Okay, we'll leave you on Francais, bitch. Come on over here and let me help you. You know? (laughs) Did you have your Julia Roberts moment from Pretty Woman? You work on commission, don't you? I got, no, I got, I was just about to say, I got accosted as a sex worker several different times. Openly. Were you wearing those shorts? No, I was not. I was not. I was just black and I had natural hair, right? And there's a thing in certain places too, like if you, they associate like this type of hair, which is often mistake. These are locks, obviously. I know y'all know that. But in some places, not necessarily always, not, not as of until recently. In some places, I'm still mistaken for having braids. And in some places where sex work is prolific amongst West African women, those women tend to wear braids. And so they just naturally associate the wearing of that type of hair with sex work. But also, I think it is like in a place like when I visited France, where we think of France as very um, liberal or like when you think about fashion, very fashion forward. Mm -hmm. But people there are still very conservative in how they show up, right? So like, and particularly if you are a bigger body, like, cause also in some places, fat fat antagonism and fat phobia is normalized, it's cultural, they accept it. Like in places like France in particular, they will like, they will openly discriminate because you are too big. Like being fat, like fat, being fat is like, you just don't, that's like a reasonable reason to discriminate against people. I don't really understand it. I'm not going to try to extrapolate on it. I just know that it's a thing. And so you intersect that with looking like an African person. Like I do look like my African ancestors. Like no one's ever going to be like, girl, what you mix with? (laughs) Like Igbo or Yoruba. Like, you know, like I'm black. But, you know, uh, and I'm a specific type of blackness, right? And I think, you know, Jason, you talked about colorism before featurism, colorism, Mm -hmm. there is even hierarchy in that. We know that, particularly Mm -hmm. amongst women. So I look at like a very specific type of blackness and you intersect that with the fact that I'm a bigger woman in a place where it is expected that one has a certain level of modesty and I am wearing a, a shirt that really is just given this amount of cleavage. It's got sleeves, right? It's just a, a deep scoop neck. And I, I had men literally making open comments about my tits in the grocery store. I stopped one guy because he said it to me in French. He must have thought I was French. He probably thought I was a French-speaking African woman. And I said, I said, excuse me, I didn't hear you. And he said, oh, you speak English. He said to me something along like, you should watch your tits. And he, he said it with a smile. He was oh not at God. all afraid 
that I was like in New York, like men sexually harass you, but like that level of sexual harassment, most men are kind of like, if I'm in a person's face saying this in New York in certain neighborhoods, this bitch really might base up. Like this six foot 300 woman might really turn some shit over on me. He, that never occurred to him. It was a very normal, and he almost, the way he was smiling made me feel like he thought he had said something endearing. It was almost like you're dressed that way because clearly you want people to make some comment about your body, your advertising, because otherwise you'd never be dressed that way as a woman who looks like you. And if it was an isolated incident, I might be willing to let that go. But it was not an isolated incident. It happened to me at least four times in the two weeks that I was there. That's a lot of times for two weeks. And this is like just out in the street, like, you know what I'm saying? Or going places, um, Parisians, because I was in Paris, right? So let me contextualize that. I'm not going to act like all of France is like that. This was Paris. And the thing about Parisians is really interesting, is like they have an open hatred of Americans while also being very enthralled with American culture. They really <laughs> think that Americans are stupid. They do. Yeah. They will they will basically tell you as much. I was Uber pooling all around France. I know for some people remember pre-COVID when we could Uber pool and I was Uber pooling all around France. And so I would get be in cabs with French people, right? Many of them French white people. And the things that they would ask me <laughs> when they realized mm -hmm. that I was American, mm -hmm. I would be like, so I would try very, like I would start just putting my headphones on and just hoping that nobody said anything to me. So I wouldn't have to like speak. Because I knew I couldn't fake a French accent. Like, I, I understand my limitations. So I was like, okay. I realized that people thought I was dumb. And then this, there were, I had, again, this reoccurring thing that would happen to me that when I would be somewhere speaking, French people would do this if they were in proximity to me. As if by hearing me talk, my American accent was like so loud or whatever. But I would go places and Parisians like New Yorkers are loud as fuck. Mm -hmm. I asked my French host, this white French lady, why is this happening to me? She said, I'm not from Paris. The Parisians are rude and they're just fucking assholes. Ignore it. She's like, but they're doing it to you because you're American. And she was like, they're probably doing it even more to you because you're, I was like a black American. And she was like, we, oui. and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> she was no, like, and then she was just like, decor, just, just ignore it, Tanya, ignore it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try. But it was, it was, it, it was. But the interesting thing is that I would talk to black French people who would then say to me, there's no racism. We're just French here. We don't like, and I'd be like, oh my God. Well, but everything I, looks different, right? It looks yeah. different. Everything and that looks, different. That was a lesson for me that the way that we view race in this country is not the way that the rest of the world might view race. Like right. I, it was a very uncomfortable thing for me to sit in. And I, there was a dialogue in my head was like, but, but I, and I, I had to tap into my own, like, like when you touch something, it touches you, right? There is no way I have a critique of what it means to be an American while also begrudgingly acknowledging mm -hmm. I am American, mm -hmm. right? I cannot try, I cannot negate the ways in which this country is imprinted on me. So I had to sit with this idea of this tendency that Americans have to make themselves the center of the world and be like, you might see race as something that is largely binary, but in other places, it is more nuanced than that. It's also more fluid. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how would you explain the race situation in Haiti? Pascal. 
in Tucson. Oh, that's. <laughs> that's I'm uh, gonna leave this for Pascal. <laughs> you go on ahead. Yo, yo. I mean, we have different shades of people who are descendants of Africans, and you have certain classes in in French. You call them mulats, who many of them don't want to be black quite frankly, and a lot of them are fair complexion elites. It's very similar to the dynamic you have in Louisiana with Creole culture, mm. but I don't think that they allow, I think the Creoles would not deny their blackness. Some of them might, but you we, you have a class of mixed race blacks who want to distance themselves from blackness as much as possible. We also don't forget we have a lot of people who have a Syrian and Lebanese kind of background as well, who have a large control or market share of the economy. So there's a there is a colorism that exists amongst Haitians, Haitians, amongst Haitians who are African descended, that is almost as bad as apartheid-like colorism, where they have different social standing based on the color of their skin. It's, I was that, told that it was gotten, getting better. It's gotten better, particularly since I don't want to give him credit since the rise of Papa Doc, because he what Papa Doc did is that he persecuted light skinny elites so bad that he basically purged many of them from the country and he filled the bourgeoisie with many of his his own cronies and created a kind of new burgeoning black middle class well, wasn't that his and whole he, thing that he hated like white people to a certain degree right well he was basically more mulattoes he he, okay. he had a very kind of perverted form of racial nationalism that was rooted in you know blaming the fault of the country on the mulatto elite and basically physically extracting reprisal from them. Mm -hmm. Was it the mulatto elite that also had slaves after the revolution? Some of them still tried to maintain slaves after the revolution. That's correct. But there were also blacks who had, you know, rest out. Those, Let's those not talk about that. Let's just shit on light-skinned people for a minute. Okay. <laughs> Let me turn my mic on. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was going to say that I was told if you were the bouncer at a nightclub, now when the club is kind of full, but you want to still let more girls in, you might let some dark skinned girls in. Yeah, this, it's a little, it's, it's been racially democratized somewhat. But back somewhat. in the day when our parents were growing up, it was pretty bad. They wouldn't let dark skinned girls in the club? They had their when the club is full. Oh, when the club was so yeah, that, that's the club is full and two really hot dark skinned girls pull up and they're like, mm, paper bag. No, now they'll be like, okay, you can come in. Now, now, now they're like, you hoes drink too. <laughs> <laughs> dark skinned girls are strategic around this type of thing too. Listen, mm. we dark skinned girls, we talk. Listen, we you know we talk about anti-blackness and we talk about that, right? And then, like you said, there are all these like factions and and cliques and and, and whatever else, right? Mm -hmm. So don't speak so we go to congregate where we go to congregate or online where we know that we're in groups that are very specifically about certain types of black women. We do talk about what it means to be in community with light-skinned women, right? Like, mm -hmm. and we, we definitely make fun of light-skinned women, right? Particularly the interracial light-skinned women, right? Particularly the interracial mm -hmm. light-skinned women with white mothers, right? Like, there are mm -hmm. levels to this shit. And so mm -hmm. 
we talk about like what it means to like have to navigate when we're talking about colorism and inevitably one white girl will be like, I mean, one light-skinned girl will be like, oh, well, I was teased growing up by light-skinned people and I have family members who like me when I was light-skinned and I'd be like, and I am sure that that hurt. I am sure that that is deeply painful. I will never take that from you. But there's two things happening here. Most likely that's a response to the continued marginalization that they felt having to experience a different and sometimes more intense type of discrimination, racism, brutality that is enacted on black bodies, especially black female bodies, but not only like dark skinned black female bodies, right? Mm -hmm. We know that dark skinned black men often were fetishized and used and, and had consent taken away from them. This is where like the Mandingo trope comes from. So like we like there is there is a type of brutality that is reserved specifically for darker black bodies and again i think that goes into that ideology of anti-blackness but i won't i won't go back we're not gonna go back down that right no and then because <laughs> that is <laughs> a fucking rabbit hole and then, <laughs> and then right so that's probably what's happening and two while it might be very painful for you it is not propped up by a system that validates it right because we can talk about racism right overarching, anti-blackness overarching. But then we can talk about the spectrum of that, the intensity, what it means, right? Anti-blackness says that the closer you are in proximity to whiteness, right? Not just physically, but also in terms of what you look like, the ideals that are arbitrarily set up by those who engage in anti-blackness, right? The more you can mitigate the harm that comes from the anti-blackness, right? And so I am sorry your feelings got hurt but I actually am less likely to be listened to by a doctor because I'm a dark-skinned black woman. My rates of infant mor infant mortality, right? My child and maternal mortality, meaning me after I give a baby are higher as a dark-skinned black woman, right? My financial health is decreased because I'm a dark-skinned black woman because desirability politics are a thing and patriarchy makes it so that as a woman your wealth is increased if you are able to have access to certain value men and those value men see light skin as a desirability that they want to be able to also commodify because there's a flip side to that meaning that as a man if you have a light-skinned woman right in black communities it does give you status that means that my likelihood of being having access to certain quality men, right? Because in patriarchy, quality men means what can you provide? I do not have access because I am a dark-skinned Black woman. So I'm sorry your feelings got hurt, but like my quality of life is actually affected by something that I cannot control. Boom. And then they be like, but still, my auntie didn't like me because I was light-skinned. And you'd be like, <laughs> <"All right, well." laughs> They said I was translucent and they could see all my veins. <laughs> do you have anything to add to that Toussaint <laughs> I just added it you're 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 a woman I won't say your skin tone because I don't want to let too much out about you as you will be wearing a luchador mask in the New York show <laughs> I will be uh-huh. um, what, is, what what is your what's your experience or do you not want to divulge uh, no, it's okay. I mean, I think it's worth saying something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's rough. You hear the pretty for a dark skin girl thing, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. 
if you're lucky. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you deal with people who are of lighter complexion who will basically do a deflection bingo whenever you mention that there is colorism and light skin privilege. There are still people denying that. Mm-hmm. Um, My daughter like, actually called out her light skin privilege. She called out her own? Her own light skin privilege, yes. Okay, okay. I couldn't she stop rat- did she call them Filipino privileges or she said light skin privileges? She said light skin privileges. People don't know she's she's Asian. She looks like Moana to them people. Moana. <laughs> she does look like Moana. <laughs> she does. There's thing. like a, a Hawaiian queen that she looks like. Yeah, don't tell her. Check that. That's all I need Don't tell her with. that. Don't tell. That's all I need to deal with. Is she one of those lighter women who wants to be darker? Mm, no. I don't think so. Okay. Is that a, is that a trend? It's a no. It's a thing that happens. I have a friend who's a makeup artist. She's light skin, and um, she continually buys the wrong makeup colors because she wants to be darker. And I'm like, <laughs> none of this makes any sense. Like, why are you? It, I there's a a feeling of needing to prove things sometimes. I think light skin people mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. I need to prove that I'm black. I need to prove that I'm tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that extends to the men as well. The men are seen as being weak. Mm-hmm. Basically, everything people say about Drake <laughs> is what they say about light-skinned men. <laughs> so, I mean, in the 80s, they had a field day. It's almost like this is the complete flip side. Hey, them niggas was running things in the 80s. The 80s were a, an extremely colorist time. Howard Hewitt was the man in the 80s. It kind of flipped in the 80s, though, because you had Michael Jordan, Wesley Snipes came around. Yeah. That he was later. The late 80s. Right? Once Wesley Snipes late. was given the wood to his light-skinned wife at the beginning of Jungle Fever, it changed everything. He, he fucked out all light-skinned dudes in the beginning of Jungle Fever. Oh my God. I remember watching that movie in the theater and just women were ga- gasping. Spike Lee. Giving you all the mandango you, you can handle. Oh my God. No, my brother. <laughs> well, that's what um Rick James said uh, when Charlie Murphy was telling the story. Um, Wesley Snipes and Eddie Murphy were the darkest black people he had ever seen, apparently. <laughs> And that's why he made all those Brother Darkness jokes. Darkness. Brother Darkness. <laughs> oh, God. Did I, did I take her off? Accident. Yeah. There you go. Sorry. Well, we've gone on for almost three hours. I think originally yeah. we all thought this was going to be a nice, tight 90 minutes. M. Toussaint mm-hmm. wrote out 15 questions, and we I asked guess. none of them. None of them. Not one. Not one. Not one. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm a distraction. Tanya just... started yelling at me and Pascal. <laughs> you have a bunch of comments calling names. You, I, if I'd listen, you, we just loud. I, you know, I wasn't yelling because I didn't say like "fuck you." Me, you know. good? You good? Like New York right. is the only people I ask you if you good, and you actually. Don't know if you should answer it. It sounds like a threat. 
Like, they ask if you good and you need to brace up for a fight. Like, it's true. You good? You good? Well, right. Like, you I'm good? feeling kind of tense right now. Cause it, <laughs> the vibe in the as long room, as I didn't say that and I ain't hit you with a fuck you mean, we good. Everything is good. Like, we really all good. No, this was like, I got to tell y'all, I was out of Wakanda land last night. I got home. It was dumb late. By the time I got to bed, it was like 4.30. I had to catch up on Manifest. And I um, got up this morning and, 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 and Tucson had been like texting me for a minute. And of course, in true fashion, I was just not responding. I'm seeing it. I know she can see my read receipts, but I'm not actually <laughs> Um, and then this morning at like 11.35, I was like, yeah, girl, I'm getting ready. It's all right. We good. I'm going to be there. I was tired, though. I was so tired. And I, I know like, you were. I was I'm like, from here. Yeah, I was like, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say some shit. I'm going to just tell them where we at, what we do, that we raising some money, go donate some money, believe black women, and then I'm going to get back on the couch. And y'all niggas really had me for three hours. Like, I could do another hour. I'm like, all right, babe, roll me another spliff. I'm talking <laughs> in my room. All right. Okay, so we talking. Oh, so are we actually saying that anti-blackness props of capitalism or the capitalism props of anti-blackness? Which one is it? Chicken egg. Let me know. You know, this is actually <laughs> a really dope way for me to spend my Saturday afternoon. And I'm going to take a nap because now I have to take six children to go see Wakanda forever. I'm going to watch it in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, so, I, so I watched them again. I watched the first one several times and I will watch the second one. I, I love superhero movies. I love them. I do think it is hilarious that they always make these niggas fight in the jungle, first of all, in the most technologically advanced city in the world. And the most technologically advanced city in the world has spears. Oh, God. You gonna tell me these niggas couldn't figure out how guns work and lasers and shit? Everybody else got lasers and they got a whole suit for this Negro and it's like we need him to be more animally. That was we always animals. We always fucking animals. Right? They were riding animals in the. Fucking, we get our first black Disney princess and this bitch is a frog. It's a frog. Seven percent of the fucking movie. You know what's funny, Tanya? You watch that shit and you, I, again, I enjoy the movies. I love, it's make-believe. It's fucking make-believe. But even, but even in the make-believe, the anti-blackness is there. I'm sorry. I am, if it always had to be about race was a person, that, this is this bitch right here. Okay, The Lion King. I say this to people all the time and they get mad at me. The Lion King. I love the fucking Lion King. I watched The Lion King so many fucking times. Like, I really love The Lion King. Ah, Sepena. I love it. I love it. How come everybody else just has regular ass American accents, but the fucking monkey has a discernible West African accent? I know... I know your fada. I can't even say what my grill's in. Why? Why the monkey? Why the monkey? Why no? Like, if that was the case, everybody's in the Serengeti. Everybody, this shit should have been a fucking Nollywood movie. Everybody was, everybody was fucking at that point. Fucking when 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 Mufasa died, she didn't be like, oh no, mommy. And she just laid down on the floor like they do in the West African movies and they beat their chest and be crying and tan at the air. Why we couldn't just go full fledged African? Just the monkey, y'all? 
Just the monkey. That's all you get. Stay woke. This is why you got white pages with the black letters. Stay woke. (laughs) 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 Told you I was on track. I was about to be one of them. You know what? You know what you should watch? You know what you should watch? Have you watched the documentary about the people that actually sang that song? The Um, Circle of Life? What's the song? A Weem Away? A Weem Away? A Weem Away? Oh, no, I have not seen that. that It's on Netflix. Go watch it. And you have my email. I I would love to get your response after you watch it. I'm actually very excited. But how would I find that on Netflix, Jason? People who sang A Weem Away. What's the name of the the nigga shit? (laughs) I'm sure it's in the Netflix (laughs) section for Netflix (laughs) has a genre. You yeah, can feel the nigga shit right there. There it is. That's what I call it when they go for black voices. Oh, okay. Yeah, basically. Right. That is nigga shit. That's that's it. <laughs> the Lion Sleeps Tonight. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank yes. you, Jeremy Sammy. It's called The Lion Sleeps Tonight. It's named after the song. And it's I, about the, I was in choir and we sang that song way before a circle of life. Dig, I'll tell you this to get you intrigued. The dude that finds the family is a descendant of the first colonizing people of South Africa. And he grew up in apartheid South Africa. And his whole thing is, I want to find the original people that sang the song because Pete Seeger, who covered it, told his label, hey, make sure you give the royalties to these African dudes where I heard this. And label was like, sure, no problem. And they just throughout money somewhere they didn't know where licensing is a mess even to this day licensing is a, yeah. is a weird is a weird business so this the whole documentary is this guy tracking down where the money went and trying to give whoever's left their royalties from this massively successful song yeah so it's a it's an interesting story i think you dig it i really want to see your response <laughs> after you watch it not the old black man laugh you know we got a couple laughs that's one of them right along <laughs> hey i'm old you should see me dance <laughs> and I the got good old- mm-hmm. that's right <laughs> i ain't moving from a chair god damn it right. i ain't moving from a chair y'all okay. i really y'all i really do thank you i I gotta jump up off of this thing but i do want to tell people if they really are interested in what i was talking about and just sort of more this is how this is what my political education looks like this is how i do it i don't do a lot of the academic stuff i probably could write certain kind of books but i really just feel like i want to be able to stand in the in the gap for folks right like i'm in those spaces i know the the adrian marie browns like i've been on panels with all of these different folks like my i'll be popping out here like i really do this work i know i made y'all niggas laugh but like actually i I, i'm really a brilliant bitch who be out here doing shit i'm i'm helping to expand, expand the praxis and but this is how it looks for me because this is how i can talk to people in my community because that's where the the radicalizing needs to happen and that shit you pay a cost for that. 
you do. You don't get funded the way some other folks get funded. You know, people tell you how much they love you, but they really don't prop your shit up. I opened a whole ass fucking community center that we need to have up and running by March of 2023, that we need to be paying black and brown and queer people to come in and facilitate. Somebody donated a whole fucking podcast and whisper sound booth to us. I don't know what the fuck to do with that. We try to get some people in here to teach people how to how to, how to to do podcasting, all this shit that MT is doing right now and shit is moving around and lower third and graphics. <laughs> all I know how to do is put my shit in the cradle of a tripod and turn it on. I got a ring light. I'm like fancy. We need the one thing I love to bring it back to Wakanda was whatever people's criticism was of that movie. Once again, black women were reflected in a light where we were fucking dope. You had young black girls building shit on some like, you know. Yeah. Some Tony Stark shit. But she well, she's Stark. yeah, Ironheart. Yeah, yeah the smartest she, girl in like, Marvel yeah, Universe. Yeah, like you know what I'm saying. Like we saw, like black women really led on a, in this way that was like multiplicitous, right? That means the world is actually listening to us. They are, even if they're listening just to make money off of us, but they're listening. And so we need to make sure that that is also rippling out into communities like the South Bronx. So if you want to find out more, um. I saw the comment. All of my, all of our shit is in the comments. Reach out if you can donate. Donate if you want to come and and we're having a volunteer day. Come and volunteer. We also run a farm called the Black Joy Farm. It's been around since 2013. It supports a food box. You know, during COVID, we fed thousands of people so that they didn't have to be standing on food lines every day of the week. You know what I'm saying? We let people go online. We bridge the gap with technology. Let them go online and make an appointment. And then show up and they box was ready. So we could be like, all right, get your ass out of here. You might have cooties, but also, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and we did that when everybody else was sheltering at home, we was in the streets like every day for very long hours, like literally 2022, I had to like take a step back. I was burnt out. And so if y'all, and if, if, I was a source of entertainment and made your day great just off the strength of that. Even if you don't give a fuck about nothing else I'm saying, bitch, you laugh for three hours, go donate $20. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> and just to everyone, y'all just being so magnanimous and, and just teaching me so much. And I learned a new word, a little term, as no, liberalism. I appreciate y'all. And this was really dope. And this was actually a great, thing to you know i i enjoyed i have, I have criticisms about black panther mm-hmm. but i did enjoy it and this really felt like a great sort of icing on the cake to that you know what i'm saying so thank y'all for giving me like oh. wakanda wow. right here much love much love much love to you much wow love. we, we take you. that as a huge compliment thank you tanya have mm-hmm. fun watch that documentary and i want to i, I will. really hope and i see a message in my Ryan sleeps tonight i will i'm going yes. to i'm going to i promise all right nice Bye. So good seeing you. Bye, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you again, Tanya. Bye. That was Tanya Denise Fields. Nigga. Oh, sorry. That's the wrong sound bank. I'm over here fucking up. <laughs> wrong thing on. What? <laughs> I got the wrong sound bank on. I'm sorry, Tanya. That wasn't the right one. You don't deserve the nigga what. But you do deserve <laughs> this. Tanya, you deserve this. We coming for you, nigga. Just <laughs> you can't see it, but Tanya is laughing. Tanya, also, if you're still listening, I hope 
you are the mom that gets one popcorn for all six children and tells them niggas. Yeah. Shit. I hope you do. <laughs> and if you don't, do it for me. Be like, I learned something else new today. Share nigglets. <laughs> <laughs> Tanya buys snacks at the bodega. Of course, that's how you she gotta does. do it. Of course, she does. Every kid got two sodas in their pocket. That's how you gotta do it. A variation of sodas too. In case lose their mind. Do people get in trouble for bringing food into the movies? You can, um, but I used to roll up in with a Chipotle bowl. Just, just sitting oh in the God. movie. <laughs> Put your feet up, have dinner. <laughs> oh my God! You like Granddad on the Boondocks, bringing in for real and fried chicken. For real, there's this meme about um, you destroying capitalism if you don't buy snacks. You messing up, you like you messing up the business flow if you if you don't buy snacks at at the movie theaters it's like all right bro come on the last movie i went to in the theater i remember popcorn and a soda was like 40 dollars, and i was like charles no i am not farting in the theater that's me charles that's <laughs> that's that Jason. Me, mama that nigga me <laughs> um so this was a crazy show like i i we didn't we didn't do any of my questions we didn't do sus or not trying to figure out baby carrots is sus or not oh that's a good that's a good what about orange carrots in general orange carrots tilapia what are we talking here um I think this is another Finkelstein show, and I definitely think yeah. that we are going to have some of the best and worst comments ever. So yeah. if you guys disagree with Pascal and I, if you disagree with anything you heard, make sure you leave it in the comments. Don't send me a personal message. Yes. Don't Get that shit up, up in the algorithm, and you tell me to fuck off in the comments, goddammit. That's right. If you got to give someone a piece of your mind, make sure it counts. Because if you send me a personal message, I'm not going to share that. But in the comments, everybody can see it. They can like it. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and address those, MT, the Super Chance? Um, I can read them. They're like uh, intense questions. Oh, Um, Jesus. Okay. Address them to Pascal. Here, we'll do this. What? There you go. There you go. There you go. Dress him to that guy right there who's in front of his fucking pool. <laughs> in your mansion. Uh, this is from Mood. Super chat. Circling back to rich white people not wanting a material transfer. Is the reason mainly racism slash classism or is some of it compulsion in a capitalist economy? In Lebanon, the compulsion is a lot clearer to me. Greed, man. How how hard is that to understand? Okay. If you, if you have a monopoly on the resources of the society, why do you want to redistribute them? 
Makes sense. From here to Miami Cubans. All right, next question. Stephanie Welch asks, how much is the prison industrial how much is the prison industrial complex complex profitable as it may be designed to prevent a working class revolution that would be inevitable without it? I think a good materialist analysis is that the prison that a prison is the space in which all surplus redundant labor is housed eventually. So I think that it has a strong component of it is to neutralize rebellion. But I also think it's also where redundant surplus labor goes to be housed. Hmm. We answered them. Oh, okay, cool. Did Pascal answer the questions? He did. That's what the people want. They don't want to, they don't want to see me answer any questions. Chase wants to go get a beverage. I want to go oh, wow. finish my coffee because I haven't, you know, it's it's early over here in uh in the west coast of Mexico. Bragging. He's bragging now. Yeah, I am bragging. The sun is out. It's it's a lovely day. I'm gonna finish cleaning MT. Was uh we were talking late last night as I finally Got to organizing my bathroom. I, I organized it with MT, and she helped me. Yep. I don't think people understand the sisterly bond I have with this woman. Sleep <laughs> on. Sorry to tell you, Jason. I already have a brother. I'm Joe. way better than him. <laughs> wow. Fucking, you really, really. People, I have gotten that before. I, show, I showed this dude a picture of my brother when he was a baby, and mm-hmm. he was like, "That guy? That guy's supposed to be cuter than me and better than me? I don't think so." Yeah, it's not about cuteness. It's just about better. 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 Ooh, Born said you just met MT. You just met MT, Jason. Yeah. yeah. And I've never. There's people that you meet in this world that you you have an affinity for, and the moment you meet MT Toussaint, as I've met her in real life, you just want to hug her. Oh. You just want to hug her. You want to make sure she's always next to you. Oh. (laughs) I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to flatter you. That's that's why you are leaning on me. Right? Right? <laughs> am I am I lying? You're not lying. Thank you. Thank you. You meet her, you're like, okay, I just this is what I need in my life right now. I need this woman in my life. Aww. You and Pascal and Quintern stopped me from getting that puppy yesterday. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. Quintern joined the Haitian coalition and he said, no, shut it down. Lexi says MT knows how to talk to people. MT is one of the kindest, most thoughtful people you will be around (laughs) for no reason. You're like, why are you so fucking thoughtful? Why not be thoughtful? Just and so like warm and and loving and can give you that good fucking you're fucking up talk you know without 
without shitting on you too hard. And and you don't get that. That's not a dime a dozen. That is not a dime a dozen. And if you I'm get really that shocked your... that I'm from New York. <laughs> you do it with the New York flair. Trust. You do it with the New York flair. As you were teasing me about all them rats, you and Andy Williams, black ass. <laughs> Big ass New York rats. Um, Jason said Jason has spent enough time on the nipple. Of course not. I'm black too. <laughs> Mom ain't got time to breastfeed. Fuck are you from? We have a super chat from Autumn Leaves. Not a question. Please shout out the chat. Shout out chat. Also, MC, can I get an e-hug? You got it. You What's an e-hug? Got it. Shout out to the chat for real. Y'all were all on fire today. This was a this was a great this was a fun show. This actually reminded me a lot of uh, Finkelstein. I, I you know I encourage people to go back and and please watch. Um, it's on the Real News. I don't think they took it down. Uh, Pascal and I had a great conversation with Joy James to the point where she took that conversation and as part of her new book. Um, I can't wait to get a copy of it. We we signed off on it. Cedric Johnson's book is coming out where Pascal um, wrote a um, what do you call blurb. those? Blurb. Blurb. Blurb for um, his new book is going to be fire. I can't wait to bring him on. Um, Is, what else? What are we missing? Did we cover everything? Oh, you know, I, did, I appeared on the uh, Gorilla History podcast talking about oh, that's right. again. They released that that's yesterday. Right. That's right. Okay. Um, it's getting late for Brother Robert. It's getting late for MT as well. I can't My say it enough. about to tap out. Uh, thank you, guys. Oh, you know, when we do New York, you know Norm's coming. He has to. He's coming. I don't know if he's going to be on the stage with us, but he's just going to be there. I'm going to make sure Norm is If I have to go pick him up from his house, Norm's going to be there. And I'm going to make fun of him. He's the homie. He is the homie. homie. I can't wait for Finkelstein to meet Pascal in real life. That's what I'm looking for. Here is the learned one. Nice. <laughs> Prescott might be there. Cross your fingers, right. Paul might be there. Trying to get Paul to come yes. out. So we'll, we're gonna have we're gonna Chinatown bus. What'd you say? Paul can take the Chinatown bus up from Philly to New York. I'm so mad you said that. <laughs> There's a Chinatown bus. There's a yeah, Chinatown bus. Okay, yeah. let's go. Let's go out old school. Okay. And uh, love you guys. We'll be back Tuesday. Peace to the chat. Peace to the chat. Love Thank you guys. you guys so much again. If you have anything to say, leave it in the comments. MT reads them all. Pascal reads them all. Gene Boslan reads I, them all. Yep. Yep. Cuba reads them all. Peace. We are kings. <laughs> <laughs>